Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Tuesday, March 26th. And live from the Chicago Reader, Chicago Sun-Times studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dugbasova, will join us. Former Illinois Lieutenant Gubernatorial Candidate, Ra Joy. And we take the deep dive with teacher-slash-seventh congressional, congressional district candidate, Anthony Clark. And now your host, not a congressional district candidate, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Deny, Deny, Deny Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend, everybody. You have a good weekend, D? It was okay. Oh, just okay. Yeah, it's Tuesday, though. You know, uh, oh, week yeah. kind of over. Oh, yeah. Well, my weekend lasts <laughs> a little longer than yours, all right? My good friend. I do that every Tuesday, by the way. My dear friend Ed Pipes in town today, Brother Ed, as I like to call him, uh, visiting for us, us from Colorado, and uh, he's in the studio. Say hello to everybody, Ed. Good afternoon. Great to be in Chicago. <laughs> That's Brother Ed Pipes. He's the uh, head coach of the Rwanda basketball team, the country of Rwanda uh, basketball team, national team. Uh, and uh, uh, he is uh, a dear friend of mine. He's in the studio. And what else? What else? I saw Jordan Peele's latest movie, saw us. I liked it so much, folks, that as soon as it was over, I declared I have to see it again because it was so complicated. I missed like half of what was going on in that movie. Miles, our uh, in, uh, in-house editor, you saw it too as well. You, saw it too. Did you figure it out as well? And eh, Not really. Yeah, you got to really. see it again. got to see it twice. And uh, I'm going to take Miles' dad. Miles' dad is a little scared <laughs> of scary movies hiding under the table. Come on out, Cap. You can come out watch the movie with me. <laughs> Anyway, so it was a very complicated movie. I'll tell you what's not complicated, though, folks. It's the behavior of some of our more prominent citizens in this country, starting with your president, Donald John Trump. Man, he's so transparent. I could see through the inner core. All right. Now, while after our show on Friday, the Mueller report came out. Uh, and according to Attorney General William Barr, we've not seen the report, by the way. Let me just repeat that, emphasize that. We'll be talking about it all week, though we've not actually seen the report. But according to the brief summary prepared by uh, Attorney General William Barr, quote, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Let me repeat that one more time. While this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. So what does Trump do? He calls a press conference, I've been exonerated. Uh, that's not what it says. Doesn't matter to Donald Trump. I've been exonerated. Even though the report says the exact opposite. Donald Trump says, I've been exonerated. Even though the report says, and I quote, uh, the, the, we, it, uh, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. 
Now, Democrats don't know what to do as we head into the campaign season of 2020. Do they press on with an investigation of Donald Trump? Do they change the subject for fear that there might be a backlash against them for, like, looking mean and nasty to the president? Or do they just, you know, let Trump trash talk and hope the whole thing goes away? Really, nothing has changed, folks. About 50% of the population who despises Trump still despises Trump. And the 45% or so that reveres Trump still reveres him. And uh, there's the folks in the middle and our future hinges on how they view this. I'll tell you one thing. Trump says he's counterattacking. He's going to investigate the investigators. So Democrats, my advice to you is don't back down. Trump's not backing down. You shouldn't back down. You got to fight him. Hit him hard on this one because he's just going to try to intimidate you into laying low. The lessons learned, you can go far in life. If you're unafraid to lie, if you defiantly say you've been exonerated, even if the report says, quote, you've not been exonerated, you can go far in life. On the local level, man, there's somebody here in the city of Chicago who's apparently learned that lesson. Jesse Smollett, the actor who apparently made up that report about being assaulted a couple months ago, had the city's police going upside and down investigating it. Turned out it was all made up. The state's attorneys today dropped all charges in exchange for Smollett forfeiting a $10,000 bond. When Ed and I were coming in the studio today, we heard Smollett on the radio, and he was thanking everybody. He thanked his friends. He thanked his family. He thanked his faith. He thanked his God. You got a question there, Young D? First of all, I want to thank my family, my friends, the incredible people of Chicago, and all over the country and the world who have prayed for me, who have supported me, who've shown me so much love. <laughs> no one will ever know how much that has meant to me, and I will forever be grateful. Okay, first of all, nobody in the city of Chicago showed you love. Everybody in the city of Chicago is mad at you for making up a story. Wait, he's not done. He's not done. Oh, sorry. I would not be my mother's son if I was capable of one drop of what I have been accused of. This has been an incredibly difficult time. Honestly, one of the worst of my entire life. If it was so bad, why'd you make up the story in the first place? (laughs) I mean, it's it's an incredible difficult time, like one of the worst in my life. Yeah, because you made up a story and then had the city going upside down and inside and out. By the way, did he thank the state's attorney? Wait, hold on. And I would also like to thank the state of Illinois oh, for attempting to do what's right. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping he thanked the state state's attorney for dropping charges. That's really the only one he should be thanking. They just want to, like, can we get this off center stage and move on? Anyway, yeah, it's pretty obvious <laughs> that uh, old Mr. Smollett there made up a story, got out of a, a deeper punishment that he probably deserves, and is now just just diverting our attention by thanking this one and thanking that one. And, you know, some people say, well, what's, what are you going to do next? And he's not sure what he's going to do next. I have a suggestion. Mr. Smollett, why don't you run for president? Saying up is down and down is up has worked well for Donald Trump. It might work for you. We got a great show today, everybody. Maya Dukmasova will be coming in at 1.30 talking local politics as we head down the stretch run. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even get into Bobby Rush and his comments over the weekend <laughs> and shaking his head, man. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, Rod Joy, good friend of this show. Uh, he ran with Chris Kennedy for lieutenant governor uh, last year's primary. And a lot of people said Rod Joy uh, should run for mayor of the city of Chicago, and he decided not to. But he'll be in the studio. We're talking politics with uh, Rod Joy. Looking forward to that. 
And at 2.30 hour, Anthony Clark will be joining us. He ran against Danny K. Davis for Congress in the 7th Congressional. He's a teacher in Oak Park. I got a feeling he's going to run against Danny K. Davis again. Sort of a generational battle there. Anthony Clark, a young man. Uh, more of the, uh, uh, let's see what, um, Bernie Sanders persuasion, I was going to say. So uh, we have Anthony Clark. Always love talking politics with Anthony Clark. Maybe we get Rod Joy to sit in for a while and have a group conversation. Uh, Ed Pipes is in the studio. Miles is in the studio. The Dr. D's in the studio. The political talk is about to begin. But before we do any of that, the doctor has the news. All right, everybody. I'm Dennis. How's it going? It's the middle of the day. Let's catch up. Uh, let's still talk about that big national news story that happened while we were away. Turn out the lights. The party's over. Or is it? The two-year Russian collusion investigation from special counsel Robert Mueller has come to a close. Or has it? Mm. Ben Jarofsky, your overall thoughts and a question, although I think I... You already know the answer. <laughs> are some of our Republican friends, eh, who are we kidding, all of our Republican friends, are they celebrating this a little too soon? Oh, yeah, they're really celebrating it too soon. And they're already on the counterattack, Ed Pipes. I know you got some opinions about this one. Uh, Donald Trump has already announced that he is going to launch an investigation into the investigators. Now, there are some people who would say politically, Donald, just change the subject. You know, uh, just... Like do a, uh, he actually could learn something from Jesse Smollett. Just thank everybody here, thank there. You know, get out of town, fade out, fade out. But not Donald Trump. <laughs> What's he okay there, D? Just keep going. No one can see this. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Anyway, not Donald Trump. He's going to do a counterattack. He's coming after the Democrats. He's going to have. He's calling for an investigation of the investigators. He wants the Democrats investigated. His son uh, is tweeting out trash talks uh, against the various uh, congressmen and calling for them to apologize, apologize to John, Donald Trump, even though the Attorney General report, the Attorney General clearly states that Donald Trump was not exonerated. Does he not understand the SDNY? Southern District of New York. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Further investigations could come out of the Southern District of New York federal uh, uh, courthouse. So, yeah. So, Donald Trump is not off the hook. And uh, it apparently, he is doubling down on this. And so, we will be discussing the investigation, the investigation of the investigation, the investigation of the investigation and the investigation. Oh, probably, my head hurts. And probably right up until... Uh, uh, election day itself. So the questions of uh, Robert Mueller's investigation continue, but Ben, it looks like some Democrats are moving on. Top House Democrats agreed Monday night that the caucus needs to stop talking about collusion with Russia because it was distracting from their legislative agenda. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, this is the Nancy Pelosi theory of things. Nancy Pelosi has stated that she doesn't even want impeachment as a discussion uh, on the agenda, and she wants to talk about issues that she thinks uh, will bring the Democratic Party victory uh, in the 2020 election. Top of the list, of course, is health care. And, um, you know, Trump now wants to double down on destroying Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. I'll probably talk about that later in the show. And uh, so that would I would if I my guess is, is that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are going to try to put the attention, the focus on uh, health care because they know that's a winning issue for them because people liked to have health care, you know, in case they get sick. 
So that's what's going down. The Washington Post reports that in a meeting of leadership, the consensus was reached that Democrats need to focus on economic issues. Oh, and this new issue just got added to the focus Democrats focus list. Health care. Yeah. The Trump administration announced last night that it formally supported a lawyer court judge's ruling that would throw out the entire Affordable Care Act. In a filing with the federal appeals court, the Justice Department said it agreed with the ruling of a federal judge in Texas. That invalidated the Obama-era health care. Yes, that would be Judge Federal Judge Reed O'Connor, who uh, used a technicality to, uh, as you said, de- invalidate uh, Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. And uh, it's a very dangerous uh, decision by that judge. Essentially, uh, tens of millions of people will be without health care, particularly if you have a pre-existing condition. And uh, the, essentially, the issue is, can Congress force... Uh, people who don't have health care uh, to pay a penalty uh, for not having insurance. And that money is what, of course, we need uh, to uh, subsidize or underwrite the cost of health care for all. And so if you do away with that provision that people have to pay that penalty, that fine or fee, et cetera, there really is no health care. There's no money for it. That's how insurance works, folk. You pool all your money to, uh, pr- to uh, cover the risk to the insurer of having to pay out. That's how it works. Car insurance, homeowner's insurance, all that has to be, you know, subsidized some way. Some way. So it's funny. It's, it's, I think the the Republicans have lost their mind in this point because suddenly it would be as though the Republicans had pipes were to be to say, you know what? We don't want car insurance anymore. We don't want home insurance anymore. And uh, so, yeah, so it's uh, it's a very tricky situation for people are caught in the middle as Donald Trump is like doubling down on this bizarre ideology, this anti Obama ideology uh, that has prevailed in the Republican Party since about 2009. If you get pulled over and you don't have car insurance, they take away your driver's license and driving privileges. So, you know, those things you must pay for. You must have. So health insurance. Help them. I know. That's, that is an interesting point. Yeah, if you get pulled over uh, if, in, and you don't have your insurance card in the car, you could lose your car here in the state of, in the state of Illinois, the city of Chicago. But health insurance, uh-uh, drop dead. So based on that, it sounds like uh, we now have two strong talking points for the Donald Trump 2020 campaign. Just in the last two days, no more Affordable Care Act and no collusion. <laughs> Yeah, no collusion. Indeed, we'll be talking more about uh, the Mueller report and the implications, the political implications as the week unfolds, uh, and also the health care issue. But uh, yeah, it seems as though that Donald Trump uh, is going to counterattack on the investigators, go after the investigators. And I don't know who he's appealing to by destroying Obamacare, but he apparently thinks that there is electoral victory for him in doing that. Uh, so he's going to try to uh, destroy Obamacare. So if any uh, updates become available on that, we will keep you posted as today's program rolls wrong, uh, right along. Benny J., I got to know. Yeah. You're going to need to find out what's going on in Illinois and or Chicago. I was born ready. Love that answer. Always a good answer, especially at this time, because coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to find out what else is news. I can't wait. This is the moment in the show where the doctor plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see it, what it is when we return. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. 
The Vendorovsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Maya Tomasova from the Chicago Readers in the studio. She's warming up. She's getting ready to talk a lot of treasurer talk. Hey, who's watching that money in the city of Chicago? She, she's got the lowdown. I'd probably throw some other political questions. Uh, the madness of the mayor's race as it heads uh, down to the final stretch. And on April 2nd, we'll be talking about the big show. Uh, Maya my, my and I will be live in Bridgeport on April 2nd, so we'll be talking about that uh, as Dr. D will be there. He'll be spinning records and juggling and telling jokes and all kinds of things. He's going to be having a beer. Oh, okay. Hanging out. <laughs> Not doing any of that. Uh, no, none of that stuff. All right. Anyway, uh, so anyway, what, what you got for me, young man? We're about to find out what's going on locally. My God, can we just get a new mayor already? <laughs> it's time yeah, for what else is news. Crazy stuff. The magic number is now seven. Yes, seven days, one week away from the 2019 Chicago runoff elections and seven days until Chicago has a new mayor. Will it be the Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle or the former Chicago Police Board President Lori Lightfoot? Well, according to the latest election poll, we're about to read from Normington Pets and Associates. Yeah, it's for sure Lori Lightfoot. Some very telling numbers to read, but first... Uh, these two had a televised debate last night. For those keeping track at home, by the way, that now makes it uh, num- uh, debate number 8,000, I believe, between these guys. <laughs> and with 10,000 more to go. Oh, my Lord. So <laughs> many debates between Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. If you want to hear the highlights of last night's, yeah. go find them at WGN.com. They hosted the thing. Uh, we're going to play two audio clips from the debate last night. Right. Because, uh, quite frankly, yeah, getting a little sick of these things. And honestly, <laughs> there really isn't much else to debate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of think we know uh, the issues. People probably know where they stand. Mm-hmm. So uh, the recent uh, comment from Illinois Congressman Bobby Rush came out last night. Now, Ben, walk everybody through what exactly went down. Uh, my old friend Bobby Rush, uh, he, he's a con- he's been a congressman uh, from the 1st Congressional District uh, since about, I don't know, 1993, I want to say. Anyway, before that, he was an alderman uh, in the Chicago City Council. Ran for mayor once in 1999. Um I think, Bobby, uh, you really blew it on this one. On Sunday at a rally, at a Preckwinkle rally, he's decided to endorse uh, Tony Preckwinkle for mayor. Uh, he expressed his opinion. Let me get that the blood. Oh, I, have, I have the audio. Oh, you can play it here's yourself. Bob, here's, here's Bobby Rush. And everybody who votes for Lori, the blood of the next young black man, a black woman who's killed by the police, is on your hands. Yeah, 
okay, Bobby Rush uh, is saying that the blood of the next young black man or black woman who is killed by the police uh, is on your hands. In other words, somehow or other, people who vote for Lori Lightfoot will then be morally culpable or responsible uh, if, by chance, uh, a young black man or black woman is killed by a Chicago police officer. Um, I think that's absolutely extreme rhetoric uh, by Bobby Rush. And I, it's bizarre. It's very bizarre comedy he's making. Bobby Rush, in the first go-around, everybody, uh, endorsed uh, Bill Daly, Baby Baby Daly. He endorsed Bill Daly. That was his candidate of choice in the first go-around. All right? So let me just think about this for a, a second. Had Bill Daly prevailed, as Bobby Rush apparently wanted him to do, and to make the runoff against Lori Lightfoot, would he still be making this argument? Would he be saying that Bill Daly is somehow or other going to be uh, a greater protector against police brutality than Lori Lightfoot? It's a very extreme, bizarre point to be made by Bobby Rush in the aftermath of having endorsed a Daly, a Bill Daly. The Daly family ran the city of Chicago throughout the 90s and the O's when there was a lot of police brutality being perpetrated in the city of Chicago. And uh, so it's just very interesting that Bobby Rush would endorse Bill Daly and then all of a sudden wake up on Election Day and, I mean, excuse me, after that first Election Day and see Lori Lightfoot is a great threat. So it was bizarre comment uh, and uh, it was a volatile comment and uh, I wish Bobby hadn't made it. Both candidates were asked about Bobby Rush's comments. First up, it's Tony Preckwinkle. Congressman Rush speaks for himself. He's been a civil rights activist his entire life. And the concerns that he raised about police misconduct and the treatment of black and brown people in our criminal justice system are valid concerns. And here's Lloyd Langfoot. There are 91,000 people that supported me in February. I expect a, a similar or larger number this next time around. It's surprising to me that she would say that somehow they're essentially murderers. Yeah. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle's doing a little uh, ducking and dodging there. I mean, uh, yes, there are valid concerns on the issue of police brutality, but the issue with Bobby Rush is not the fact that that he stated there's valid concerns. It's he said that people who vote for a candidate other than the one he's endorsing are somehow or other morally culpable for violence that occurs that they have nothing to do with, that they did not uh, create or cause. And, uh, and as I said before, it's a very curious statement, a very strong statement for Bobby Rush, considering that one more time, everybody, just three weeks ago, he was endorsing Bill Daly for Mayor City of Chicago. All right, everyone. It's now poll time. Once again, Normington Wells and Associates just released a voter poll on the Chicago mayoral runoff. Ben, before we get into this, please tell us your opinion on election polls. Do you trust them? Do you like them? And if we were to take a poll on election polls... <laughs> How would a poll on election polls poll? <laughs> huh? Wow, yeah. Huh? Well, you know, uh, Maya's in the studio. We're going to talk to her maybe a little about this. She's got some strong opinions about uh, election polls, indeed. She's expressed one or more times. I have to admit, at the risk of uh, uh, get, getting into this uh, argument with Maya on this one, uh, I have to admit I'm pretty obsessed with election polls. And um, and then I have this curiosity, like when they're all done, how accurate were the polls? And then I love getting into the discussion. This is how much a geek I am, Ed Pipes, as to whether the polls really were accurate or somehow or other, uh, you know, they were distorted when they came out. But if you recall, when with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, it seems as though you know everybody was predicting that Hillary Clinton would be the next president, and then Donald Trump won electoral victory, and then Donald Trump said the pollsters were wrong. He kept hammering that point. And then when you took the deep dive in the polls, they said, well, 
you know, the polls were showing that Donald Trump could very well win an electoral college victory. So the polls weren't as wrong as everybody said they were, if you recall that one. As we uh, drove in this morning, you mentioned uh, one specific thing. You need plausible what? A plausible deniability. <laughs> that's all you need, Ben. Don't worry about you it. You can spit it. Yeah, plausible. That, that was the, that's been the theme of the week. Anyway, that poll uh, was um, sponsored by Max Temkin, and he will be a guest on our show tomorrow at two o'clock. So we'll uh, pick Max' brain on uh, that poll. All right, let's get to the numbers needs. of the poll. Here we have the numbers on the race between Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle, as well as some other interesting poll questions. A majority of those taking the poll were Democratic voters. After all, it is Chicago. And in case, uh, if you were wondering, 23% of those polled had bachelor's degree with 25% with a master's degree, Ben. Yeah, that's yeah, smart people. Smart huh? poll yeah, takers. All right, <laughs> on to question one. Yeah. On April 2nd, there will be an election in Chicago for mayor. How likely would you say you are to vote in this election? Will you definitely vote? Probably vote. Are the chances 50-50? Will you probably not vote, or will you definitely not vote? Definitely, 84%, 84% of those who take, take, took the poll will vote. Wow. I don't know about that. Yeah, right off the bat. That's our bat. That's our right one. off the bat. I got uh-huh. some issues with that one. That's people saying the right thing. You know, well, I know I'm supposed to say I'm going to vote, uh, but I do. I don't believe we've ever had 84% turnout, right. even uh, at the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, elections of all time. I think the Harold Washington election of 83, there's like 82% turnout. I think it's one of those things, like if someone were to ask you in public, like, and even if you weren't going to vote, you would say yes. Anyway, yes. Right? Uh, ben, do you eat broccoli? Yes, I love broccoli. Of course, it's great. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Did we check the weather report yeah. for next Tuesday? Yeah, oh, yeah, right. If it's a cold day, uh, maybe we won't reach so 40%. 84% definitely will vote. 10% probably vote. 50-50, 6%. And the other two are at 0%, so they just terminated those. So. <laughs> Wait, what? so 2%, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, on to question number two. Mm-hmm. Would you say things in Chicago are generally headed in the right direction? Or would you say things are pretty seriously off on the wrong track all right 28 percent say right direction 21 percent say i don't know <laughs> with 51 percent saying that uh things are headed on the wrong track wow wow 51 percent say things are headed on the wrong track man that's uh uh that that's no sunny skies, man. It's no sunny skies in the city of Chicago. That's Brad Joy. What he thinks about that? Fifty-one percent of the people polled say the city's heading in a bad track, and um, I don't. I mean, considering the uh, financial problems we'll be talking about this with Maya, we're facing. I can understand because uh, everybody realizes we're if you're paying any kind of attention, you're going to be facing some sort of tax hike uh, in the coming year. So 51% uh, think that Chicago is headed on the wrong track. All right, here's one Ben can riff on. This is actually question number six of the survey. What if Rahm Emanuel was running for re-election as mayor? <laughs> Would you vote for him or not? Uh, <laughs> 25% say yes, they would vote for Mayor Rahm if he were running in this election. Yeah. 12% say, I don't know, what are you talking about? With 63% saying that they would not yeah. vote 
for Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Yeah, sixty-three percent say they're not voting for, would not vote for Rahm Emanuel. Which, uh, by the way, folks, now you know why he didn't run for re-election. He probably had his own private polls back in September telling him the exact same thing. The interesting thing is that the sixty-three percent they say they would not vote for Rahm. Fifty-one percent say Chicago's heading in the wrong direction. I think if you ask that fifty-one percent why is Chicago heading in the wrong direction, they'd probably say Rahm Emanuel. So there's some correlation between uh, those two answers. All right. And finally, it's the moment we've been waiting for. Poll results on our Chicago mayoral runoff. If the election for mayor was held today and the candidates were Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle, for whom would you vote? And if undecided, which candidate do you lean towards supporting? Lori Lightfoot, 47%. Leaning Lightfoot, 6%. All right. So... That's a combined total of 53% for Lori Lightfoot. On to Tony Preckwinkle. 14% mm. say they would vote for Preckwinkle. 3% lean Preckwinkle, giving Tony Preckwinkle a combined 17%. Yeah. <laughs> 29% go, I, I don't know. I'm still confused. So there you are. Well, the Tony Preckwinkle people are banking on that 29%. Uh, and the theory that has been uh, explained to me by Tony Perkwick supporters is that it's a silent majority. So that for some reason, uh, there's many people who are embarrassed to say they're for Tony Prickwick. That's the whole theory of a silent majority. That's like the Trump theory. Like there's a lot of people. This is this is why they say the Trump people say you can't trust a poll about Donald Trump because people are ashamed to say they're for him and they're actually for him. Dennis, I think you've espoused this theory from time to time that people are ashamed or embarrassed to say that they're for Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. And so they'll tell a pollster, well, no, of course I'm not for Trump. Or they'll say I'm undecided. Uh, so the, the Tony Prickwick people are saying that uh, that 20 29% is locked in. Well, let's let's try and help out the 29% for Tony Preckwinkle. Hey, guys, you know she likes uh, antiques, right? I love antique shows and antique fairs. Come on. Oh, there you go. Maybe that'll help. I could see thousands of voters rushing. Oh, I did not know about the antiques. Does she have a hat? D- does she have a hat? A MAGA hat. Oh, a no. hat. <laughs> Tony Preckwinkle does not have a MAGA hat. Let's not get that one going. That's yeah, going. yeah, yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a crazy road we're going down there, Mr. Pipes. All right, so there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in the city of ours in Chicago. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Yeah, let me tell you something. Okay. Something that Ed Pipes thinks. All right. Something that Mr. Ed. Remember Mr. Ed, the oh, horse? Yeah, he yeah, thinks the it horse. Too. Talking and, horse. And something that J.B. Pritzker, speaking of horses, he loves horses, oh, right? Oh, he does. <laughs> Don't forget that one. Something they all agree on. You know what that is? Huh. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We'll be right back with Maya. <laughs> if you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't? Contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization. And quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp at C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments.
Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, will do. I will take it away. Maya Dukmasova is in the studio with me once a week. She comes in. She's the ace writer for my beloved reader. I am another ace writer for my <laughs> beloved reader. Uh, Maya's the younger half of the Ben Maya team that uh, we've got. What a we're building like a whole empire of our own. Maya. Empire. <laughs> <laughs> we got uh, podcasts, and we're doing. Tell everybody about the election night. We're uh, repeating the fun from February 26th. We're doing it again on April 2nd. Yeah, we're doing it bigger and better this time. So for everyone who watched our election night live cast out of the back room of a Chicago Reader office uh, uh, and enjoyed that, uh, you'll be happy to know that we will once again be live streaming our our election night analysis and, and responses. But this time we're also having a live party at the same time. So this will be... April 2nd, starting at 6 p.m. at Mars Community Brewing in um, in Bridgeport. That's at 3630 South Iron Street. It's the Mars Tap Room and Brewery. Um, Mars spelled M-A-R-Z for mm-hmm. those unaware. So we will have um, some special guests. We will have a amazing DJ there as well. Um, Sadie, Sadie, Sadie Woods. Um, all vinyl. She's spinning all vinyl. There's going to be a lot of classics, Ben. Uh, <laughs> a lot of. <laughs> I've been told, man, they're going to play old people music for you, Ben. Oh man, now they're going to they're going to they're going to have great music there. There's going to be uh, food. There's going to be beer, and best of all, this event is free. So Wait, one more time, free. Yes, the as, event is absolutely free. As in F-R-E-E? That's right. As in you don't have to pay money. You don't have to pay money to be part of the event. Uh, you know, just just your just your bar bill, basically. Uh, right. So everybody should come through, um, and we'll uh, w- whatever the results are, we're going to have a good time, and uh, there'll be there'll be good food and drinks and dancing, and yeah, I think it'll be a good. I think it'll be a good party. All right. Well, we're off to a good start with the Ben Jarofsky Show on Tuesday because not only did Maya show up uh, on time early, actually, my 2 o'clock guest, Rod Joy, is here on time. Settle in, young man. Uh, We'll bring him on. Rod Joy, one of my favorite uh, politicians. I don't know if you call yourself a politician. All right. Uh, uh, Public citizens, I should say. And uh, he's in the studio. We're going to bring him on in a little bit. Uh, Yeah. So, Maya, we're going to have April 2nd. They're going to play music for young people. And music and for, for all old, kinds of people, old timers like myself, they're gonna play. You got me going in circles. For some reason, I've been thinking about that song all day. I can't get it out of my mind. Ed Pipes from my generation, ladies and gentlemen, and friends of distinction. That is correct. Also, did Grazing in the Grass. Remember that one, Ed? 
humass tequila, but they put it to a word. Anyway, all right, enough Let's talk uh, to the people with microphones. Yes, now. Uh, <laughs> enough talk about uh, old music. Amaya, uh, you uh, are about to. Uh, you wrote your story already. It hasn't uh, hit the streets yet. I guess it comes out tomorrow. Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Oh, not Wednesday. Well. Uh, this reader comes out on Thursdays, Ben. Oh, I always get mine on Wednesdays. <laughs> well, so I get yeah. Sometimes some of the boxes are filled on on Wednesday nights. So, uh, and the story will be online as well. So between Wednesday and Thursday, it should be out there for for everybody to be able to read. Um, I wrote uh, about the uh, for the, the city treasurer's race, mm-hmm. which I feel like has gotten relatively uh, little attention, and I mean it's gotten more attention than these these uh, treasurers. Ra- uh, elections normally do because for the first time in uh, since 1999 we actually have a choice for treasurer yeah. and for the first time since like 1989 or even before that uh, we have uh, we are choosing between two new candidates for this position and not you know a mayoral appointee and somebody who just happened to meet to make the ballot alongside them. Yeah, there's a great tradition in Chicago of having the treasurer step down right before the election, having the mayor appoint a successor, and then that person running as like the incumbent with a record, even yeah, <laughs> just got the job. All right, so let's break it down a little bit. Uh, first of all, uh, before you get into the candidates, why is this uh, seat an important uh, position? Yeah, so the, the, the treasurer, this is something that I had to uh, also educate myself on in reporting the story, because I frankly had no idea what the treasurer does or why they're important. But essentially, this is the person, um, this is the office that maintains uh, the city's $8 billion of, of cash flow. And um, they make sure that when a, the city cuts a check, whether they pay the salary of an employee or a worker's comp payment or, you know, a, the legal settlement that there's actually money behind that check. Mm-hmm. Um, the city's money is stored in one of 17 uh, municipal depositories. This is just the word that they use to identify private banks where the city, you know, puts has accounts. So it's banks like um, there's some like l- more local institutions. There's things as big as J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America. So um, the treasurer makes sure to you know maintain relationships uh, with these municipal depositories and also oversees investment strategy. So just like when you have some extra money in your in, in your possession, you want to try to make it work for you either by putting it into a savings account or, you know, uh, putting into putting into some you know putting it on the stock market or something of that nature so we can generate some kind of interest for you the city money we're talking about eight billion dollars mm-hmm. like of course there's not not all eight billion dollars of it is in use at any at every single moment so the treasurer oversees investment of that money so that it can generate some returns now this treasurer doesn't just have like full discretion to do whatever to make them you know to to make the biggest investment returns with that money there's very strict city and state laws that govern how city money can be invested it has to be very safe since we're talking about taxpayer dollars it has to be you know bonds securities that are very very safe that that uh, don't tend to generate insane returns but um, but still there there's some discretion that the treasurer and, and their staff uh, who are hopefully financial professionals um, hopefully the, yeah they, this there's 
there's some discretion that, that, that they have over these decisions. And finally, the treasurer also sits on the pension boards. Mm-hmm. So the city's four pension funds for police officers, uh, firefighters, uh, laborers, and essentially white-collar municipal workers, um, all of those pension funds have, have boards that, that, that govern them, that make decisions about how the money is invested, how the pension funds are invested. And the treasurer is um, a member of all of those boards. They're also the treasurer is also involved with the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund, but not in, as a voting board member. They mostly just uh, have like some bookkeeping responsibilities over that fund. But um, since there's tens of billions of dollars in those pension funds, the treasurer, if the treasurer, the treasurer has the possibility to influence um, how decisions are made about how how that money is invested, how the retirement money is invested. Yeah. So. Uh, all everything that is up to the treasurer's discretion is pretty narrowly governed and circumscribed by these city and state laws that are designed to protect taxpayer money. But uh, at the experts that I talked to basically said that it is an office that can um, be a pretty effective uh, advocate for certain kinds of policies. And uh, in recent years, the treasurer's office under Kurt Summers, especially the, our current treasurer, has taken on a, a bunch of um, kind of public education roles in the city, trying to do more consumer finance education, um, trying to connect people and small businesses with, um, with uh, you know, resources to, to start up their businesses, to get uh, financing for, you know, whether it's mortgages or open up, opening up a new business. So they're kind of doing, they, they, have, they're, they play a public role, not in the sense that, like, maybe the city clerk does, which is the other one of the three city elected executives. You have the mayor, city clerk, and treasurer. So a lot of people have regular contact with the city clerk, you know, paying tickets or whatever. The treasurer, you're more likely to con- connect with them as a regular person in the city if you're, you know, go to a workshop that they're hosting on, you know, per- personal finance. Yeah, I remember uh, you mentioned the city clerk when Miguel Devaya, this is going back a few years, became the city clerk in the O's. Uh, Luis Gutierrez, who was his rival, his political rival, uh, sneered. He said, oh, Mike, he's going to be uh, you know, handing out the dog tags. He was sneering, he was mocking, he was making mm-hmm. fun of him. Uh, and the, that sort of attitude is also prevalent with the treasurer's office to a degree, as though it's not really an important office. People don't know about it. Uh, like As I said, there's and so many of them are just appointees of the mayor. Kurt yeah. Summers, the one who's stepping down, was originally appointee of the mayor. Do you think he- that there's potential in the treasurer's office to turn it into a significant pulpit if you will yeah so the interesting thing about the this office is that it's it's historically been very important it seems like it's been very important for the mayor of chicago to have a a kind of a close reign on whoever occupies that office because even though the person in that office doesn't have a ton of discretion and ability to change city policy or really strike out on their own and change how we do, how we do things in the city that is a citywide elected position and if somebody is in that office who has some political ambition um, they have a pretty high up springboard to mm-hmm. challenge the mayor or the mayor's allies in various ways so what you see historically is um, yeah the mayor the mayor being very interested in keeping this person on a on a on a tight leash mm-hmm. and it's also been um a way that especially you know the dailies have have uh, have maintained a sort of air of integration in citywide executive offices so historically again there's been this kind of way that like oh we've got a white mayor and a a black city clerk or or a black treasurer and then like a, a latino um 
city clerk or treasurer. Yeah, the so, Rainbow uh, Coalition, yeah, if you will. And back in 1989, this is so fascinating. This is what I learned from, from reporting the story. Um, so between like 79 and 89, we had uh, Cecil, Cecil Parti, who was a treasurer, who seemed like it ha- had pretty good relationships with the various mayors of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And when Richard M. Daley was elected in 1989, he promptly, the, the Cook County Board promptly uh, appointed party as the new head of the state's attorney's office and he would then lose the actual ele- the next election yeah. for state's attorney and once he was out of the treasurer's seat Richard M. Daly put in Miriam Santos mm-hmm. who was the first uh, uh, Latino um, uh, citywide official uh, citywide executive basically okay. she, yeah she was the first there, there had been Latino aldermen but she was the first city executive to uh, Hispanic city executive so through fairly quickly in the early 90s Miriam Santos proved to have some separate ambitions from just being kind of a daily peon yeah. and she got into some pretty high profile fights with him because she rang, kind of like rang the alarm around, about the mismanagement of city pension funds which Daly was not happy with. And it seems like, nevertheless, they maintained some kind of okay alliance because, you know, she kept being the only person on the ballot through the 90s. And um, even though she uh, had some 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 political ambition he i guess he he he, they couldn't have been that on the outs because there was never anybody other than her running for that office until 1999 when the what this is the most chicago thing i've ever heard of so (laughs) miriam santos Uh. in the late 90s made a stab at another elected position i think she was running for the state house or state senate or something like that and uh there was like a bunch of corrupt goings on within her campaign and in in uh, 1999, she was indicted yeah. on mail fraud and attempted extortion charges. Yeah. Shaking down people for bribes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in February of 1999. I mean, for campaign right. Yeah. And in February of 1999, despite that indictment, just like the old Chicago tradition, she got reelected. Uh, it was, the, But it was a contested election. Dorothy Brown uh, ran against her. And unsuccessfully, Miriam sailed through uh, the election. Uh, there was no runoff. And a couple months later, she was convicted of yeah. those charges and had to vacate the office because she was now a fel- convicted felon. So uh, <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. So so but no, I but, then, all but it, it, it gets it get it gets wilder yeah. because then so Miriam Santos has to exit. She goes to prison. For like, she spent. She starts her prison term. She got like a forty-month sentence. Uh, Daly appointed Barbara Lumpkin to yeah. replace her. There were immediately some kind of patronage hiring controversies in the office once Lumpkin was appointed. And four months into Miriam Santos's uh, uh, sentence, mm-hmm. she her conviction gets overturned yes, by an appellate does. court. Yep. And so she is no longer, you know, has no longer has a criminal conviction and. Her ouster from the elected office is voided. Like she is still the elected official, yeah. so she comes back to the, to head the office and gets back pay for it. And finally, uh, a few months later, she. This is all in 1999. Uh, a few a months later, year, I mean, in 1999-2000. So it's like yeah. a great couple of years. Yeah. So finally, she is uh, has to step down because. Uh, she pleads guilty yeah. to one count of mail fraud because she doesn't want to go through a whole retrial. So she just takes a guilty plea. Then one, and she doesn't have to tr- uh, serve any more time in prison. She takes time served, and after her, daily appoints Judith Rice, who then becomes treasurer. 
Yes. For a few years, yes, and uh, she. So just to kind of round out the to, to to our current moment. So Judith Rice gets appointed. She becomes treasurer. Then uh, she steps down right before a reelection, and Daly appoints Stephanie Neely, who then is reelected. Uh, and then finally in 2014, Stephanie Neely. This always happens in October. They're yeah. always they always step down in October, or November. That's then right. the mayor appoints someone new, and then that person runs unopposed. And so then after Stephanie Neely left for the private sector, we got Kurt Summers in 2014, who many who was a a, a protege of Tony Preckwinkle, and yes, many people sort of saw him as having higher political ambitions and. Some of the kind of uh, some of my sources on the story said that they felt like uh, it's because he showed clear signs of higher political ambition that Rom sort of didn't let him really flourish in that in that treasurer's well, office. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, that, by the way, great recitation is, as you were going through all those <laughs> names, it was just bringing back memories. I remember... Just awash with nostalgia. Mer- Miriam Santos' great return, like Napoleon coming back to France, you know what I mean? Declaring, I am the treasurer! Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I did a story on Miriam Santos in the 90s, spent some time with her, and uh, I remember she had tremendous potential. She was a very charismatic politician, and she fell afoul. She went strong against the daily on the pensions, got into a very public fight with Daly and his aides, and that was just sort of like a lesson that people learn: never get into a fight, even you know, never be caught disagreeing with the mayor. And it's probably a lesson that applies uh, to this day, Maya, that you don't want to get into high public fights with an all-powerful mayor. Yeah, and I mean, so that story that you did, for folks who are interested, it's called All the Right Moves. It's a reader story from 1995. and But aside from that, there's another reader story from the 90s about Miriam Santos called uh, that oh, Mike yeah. Miner did know. that was all about this bizarre relationship between... Um, Ray Mir- Hanania. Yeah, former Sun-Times, Ray Hanania and Miriam Santos and all the ways in which this also like hobbled her political ambitions. Yeah, no, you should read that one. That one, uh, th- that uh, Ray Hanania story. I don't know Ray. If Ray's listening, hello, Ray. Uh, I've known Ray for a few hey, Ray. years. <laughs> Ray. But uh, yeah, no, that's, they uh, leaked a story. Somebody leaked a story about their budding romance between Ray Hanania, reporter, and uh, Miriam Santos. Yeah, and uh, it was all downhill for 10 trivia points, Maya. Mm. What high school did Miriam Santos graduate from? Ooh, that's, I, no. <laughs> to say Whitney Young. Nope. Oh. Horace Mann High School in Gary, Indiana. The things I know, man. Wow. The things I, no phone, by the way. No phone. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah. All right. So great history. <laughs> Love the names. Judith Rice. I think Judith Rice was the daughter of Fred Rice, who was the police chief. Yeah. Uh, I remember Steffi Neely, when Steffi Neely was appointed. Ed Smith, the ornament of the 28th Ward, made some, uh, uh, inappropriate comments about how beautiful she was. I mean, it was just like the, it was always that moment of the appointment where the mayor was trotting out she's some beautiful. bright new. Yeah, she's, I can say it. She's okay. beautiful. Maya can say it, but Ed Smith uh, did, shouldn't have said it. Uh, the former alderman of the 28th Ward. And then when they trotted out Kurt, Kurt Summers, it's always this bright, new, energetic face in the city of Chicago who's expected to be quiet nod the head whenever the mayor says anything and say, what a wonderful mayor we have. But he had ideas. Kurt Summers. Oh, man. What what a bummer for his political career. He had some actual policy ideas. And you've written a bunch about him. And I think early on in his appointment, you you 
you brought in some much needed criticism around how Rom was staffing up these these offices with like these sort of investment banker types and yeah. big money big money people. And so, but his big his big Curtis Summers big idea has been this thing called the Catalyst Fund, mm-hmm. which was supposed to take. $100 million that was uh, generated through investment returns from city money, and then partner with a bunch of private investors to get another like one to $300 million and create this sort of fund that would provide low-cost uh, loans for people to start small businesses in the city in underserved areas, which, you know, seems like a great idea. Um, and uh, But the board of this Catalyst Fund was supposed to be appointed entirely by the mayor. And the mayor never appointed any of those uh, board members, uh, as, as, as far as I can tell from the most recent reporting about this. So the fund has, and, and the fund has never found those, um, you know, the, the, the private private side partners, uh, private investors have not been kind of wrangled together to, to cr- fully capitalize the fund. And so the fund hasn't made any loans yet. And so both of the current candidates, Amea Prawar, 47th Ward Alderman, um, and uh, Melissa Conyers Irvin, who's a state rep from the uh, 10th um, district, uh, mm-hmm. which is on the west side of Chicago, both of them have promised that they will really, um, you know, take, d- d- occup- preoccupy themselves with getting this fund actually off the ground. All right. Now, you fo- we finally got into the history, which is a delightful <laughs> history. I love the names and the, uh, the bizarre relationship between the treasurer and the mayor. The treasurer is supposed to be an independent fiduciary overseer of our finances, and in, and in fact, is expected to be a puppet of the mayor. Mm-hmm. It's only in Chicago. Actually, probably not only in Chicago. It's probably uh, most cities that could govern like that. All right. So when you think of uh, Mayor Pawar, uh, for, he's currently the alderman of the 47th Ward, and Melissa Conyers Urban, who's a state rep, as you said, from the, the west side, near west side. Uh, do you think either one of them has the potential to be sort of uh, what we would want, I guess, an independent fiduciary overseer of city finances who would act uh, on their own, almost as a maverick, uh, and not just do whatever the mayor says. Well, okay, so because there's so little power in that office, I I don't know if being a maverick is how you make the most effective use of that office. Dick Simpson from UIC, who I interviewed for the story, said that it, it really you, it really is important to maintain a good relationship with the mayor and because you need to get the mayor's backing to to get a lot of these big bold policy proposals done um so i i don't really know how to speculate on your question but i will say that like speaking about the each of these candidates uh you know they're both proposing i mean amir prawar is proposing some like very big big policy ideas so his number one thing he's running on is the idea of creating a public bank Mm -hmm. which currently i mean there's only one place in america that has a public bank that's the state of north dakota and their public bank has existed since 1999 it um it's it works in very kind of circumscribed ways people can't get loans from it directly but uh it finances some student loans and some other programs in the state infrastructure projects that kind of thing there's kind of a growing movement around the country right now and especially in california to start up public banking and uh, back in the 19th century public banks were quite common uh across the country illinois had one that financed uh, various infrastructure projects like the construction of some of the canals so um uh, amir Pawar wants to create this public bank 
which isn't, I mean, a lot of people are talking about how this is like an irresponsible idea uh, in terms of what to do with taxpayer dollars. The capitalization of the bank, from what he described, would not just be like directly taking taxpayers' dollars, but also, but like using investment returns. So the point is that that's not something they can do on their own. Like you would need big changes in state law Absolutely. and city law. You'd need the state to grant a charter for the city to start a public bank. So this is like, this is like a big, bold vision, but it would need coordination and work with a lot of other actors, including the mayor mm-hmm. to, to, to get this done. But even I asked him, I was like, well, okay, so just like laying aside this kind of thing, like what, what would you do with the powers the office currently has? And his big promises are disinvesting from, um, uh, divesting from fossil fuels, so he doesn't. He he wants to like uh, as far as the city investment portfolio goes, he doesn't want there to be any investment in fossil fuels um, uh, as part of the kind of a climate oriented uh, policy position. And the other thing is he wants to publish, which I was surprised doesn't happen already, but he wants to publish reports on how much private financial institutions, private banks, charge the city in financing costs to manage their money. So. You would think they'd be doing that anyway. You would think so, but apparently this is actually quite hard to figure out. How much how much interest are we getting charged? Like how many what what Wall Street is charging us in fees essentially to manage our pension funds and manage our city dollars. And on the other hand, uh, Melissa Conyers Irvin, her big promise, uh, you know, day one in office is that she would bring together the heads of the various private banks that are uh, holding city money, those municipal depositories I mentioned, those 17 private banks that hold on to city money, um, that she wants to bring all the CEOs in and have a meeting with them, and ex- she expects them to develop a plan for the unbanked population. Uh, and the other thing is she wants to expand, she wants to add some credit unions to the municipal depositories list, because even if we put like a couple of million dollars in a credit union of the whatever billions of dollars that the city has in these private banks, her argument is that a few million dollars of city money in a credit union can go to offer mortgages and small business loans and, and others to underserved communities. In, in either case, uh, Amaya Pawar or uh, Melissa Conyers Irving, Irvin, there's going to be a new mayor of the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It'll either be obviously Tony Perkwinkle or Lori Lightfoot. So the basic dynamic may change. I don't know if it will. You know, Rom, uh was following in the daily footsteps of a powerful mayor who allowed, tolerated, tolerated no dissent Mm -hmm. and wanted all ideas to come through him so that he would get credit for all ideas. That's generally how the the mayor's office has been run under Daly and Rom for the, so it's going back 30 years. I don't know, and none of us know really, how Tony Preckwinkle or Lori Lightfoot, if mayor would be in regards to people like underlings, uh, if you will, having the, um, the access to the pulpit mm-hmm. to articulate new ideas, to promote new ideas. You know yeah. what I'm saying? We, that if, if that fundamental dynamic changes between mayor and treasury, we may see some of these ideas be discussed and analyzed, but if that fundamental idea doesn't change, Amaya, um, I feel as though they'll go back to being, you know, a factotum. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were speculating that Kurt Summers, before announcing that he wouldn't be running for re-election, that he would be, that he would try to run for mayor of Chicago. And it's just, you know, like, I feel like what, both of these candidates that are running for mayor now are, like, promising a, a brave, bold new day in the city. And I think that if they really do 
uh, care first about the issues and not their own political ambitions, then it's in their interest to work with the treasurer. And I mean, you can have a, a you know debate all you want about the virtues of a public bank or the actual feasibility of forcing big banks to bank the on on bank population, which they have like zero interest in and have shown no interest in or for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there's that you can debate the merits of these policies, but that what I'm hopeful for is that whatever initiative this new treasurer will have won't be seen by whoever is on the fifth floor as like a, a potential danger zone of like, oh, this person is getting too big for their britches. Yeah. Like we got to shut this down before they get too big and challenge me for mayor. Yeah. That seems absurd. That doesn't serve any of us. It uh, doesn't. And I, I don't know how realistic that is with either case. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's on record saying she won't serve more than two terms. And uh, Tony Preckwinkle, uh, well, how old is she? She's 74. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't see her serving more than two terms either. So uh, this notion, the, 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 the last two mayors, you're right, were so afraid of anybody being seen as a potential rival because I guess they wanted to rule forever until they got tired of the office. All right. Anyway, Maya, we have run out of time on this segment. We've got Rod Joy coming up uh, one more time. Uh, Maya and I will be live April 2nd, election night, uh, 3630 South Iron. So I have the, the, uh, the address yeah, right. It's Mars. Mars Community Brewing in Bridgeport. It's 3630 South Iron Street. Yeah. And if I can plug one more thing on uh, Saturday, uh, March 30th at, uh, at 9 a.m., I will be co-moderating what could be the last mayoral forum of this election cycle, uh, this never-ending election cycle, um, with, I'll be co-moderating this forum on housing issues with Alden Lowry from WBZ, and that'll be at Mount, Mount Pilgrim Baptist Church, uh, 2976 South Wabash. Mm-hmm. It's a morning event. Uh, it was a tight, it was a, like, there were all kinds of scheduling problems, so apologies in advance to people who aren't morning people, but <laughs> this is going to be an all-housing issues debate yeah. we're just going to be talking about housing and i really encourage folks to check this out there's an event page for this on facebook it's called the showdown for shy town all oh. right the showdown and, for shy town. and also uh, you guys are going to be uh in bridgeport on the second yeah if everybody wants to get caught up on uh, all the info going on in these elections backroom the back deal, deal podcast the backroom deal it's on chicagoreader.com right new oh. episodes every day this week uh check it out on all your podcasting platforms so uh what what has came out so far uh we've had the which wards? Uh, we, we had a little catch-up episode on the mayoral. Okay. We checked in with all the wards we covered in season one. Okay. We've had the sixth ward, and today we have an episode on the 25th ward that came out, and there's more coming this week. Cool. All so right. sixth and the 25th out. Go check out the backroom deal. All yep. right. Very good. Thanks so much, Maya. Rod Joy in the studio. We'll bring them on right after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times online, chicago.suntimes.com. 
the Chicago Reader online, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarovsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, March 26th is just moments away. But before we get into set hour number two, we got to thank the following unions for helping make the Ben Jarofsky show return. All right. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith Workers. Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Big thank you to those unions for making this show return. And, of course, today's show brought to you by our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two of the Ben Jarofsky Show. Rod Joy coming up. is happening right now. Yes, it is Tuesday, March 26th, and live from the Chicago Reader, Chicago Suntime Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's former Illinois Lieutenant Gubernatorial Candidate and dear friend Rod Joy. And we take the deep dive with teacher-slash-7th Congressional District candidate, Anthony Clark. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed, Rod Joy in the studio of the pride and joy of Evanston High School. 1991, I want to say he was on that offensive line that plowed over New Trier. Defense, defense. Oh, defense. You know, that was a long time ago. That was man. a long time ago. I can't remember anything, yeah. but... Ross said he'll come on the show if I promise not to talk about his glory days at Evanston That's High School. Right. Isn't That's that right. right? The deal we cut. That's right. Yes. So I just could not resist my. They also brought his uh, brackets. This, are these your predictions? No, for no, the, no. Uh... So my basketball bracket is broken. Okay. But okay. when it comes to the March Madness of this political season, uh, I'm looking pretty good, Ben. I'm uh, looking pretty good. Really? Yes. What, so what have you predicted? What did you predict? Well, you know my good friend Lori Lightfoot. Yes, you were. I could. By the way, folks, if you could see this, this man is surrounded by Lori Lightfoot. We're bringing in the light, Ben. Yeah, we're bringing in the light. Okay, yes. a Lori Lightfoot supporter. Yes, and you know I'm. I go way back with Lori, and it was uh, an honor to stand by her side when she announced her candidacy for mayor. Um, really excited about uh, this moment. Uh, I predicted that she would be here in a runoff. Well, you were the one person in the city of Chicago who made that prediction, Rob. I just thought it would be against Rahm. You know, so, um, but here we are. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that point uh, should not uh, just be completely lost. 
Uh, everybody knows that I had tremendous respect for the candidates who had the guts to get in the race. I call them the original gangsters. They yes. had the guts to get in the race when Ron was still very prevalent. And all of them, Willie Wilson, Paul Val. I may not agree with every one of them on every issue, but they had the courage to go up against the big guy. Yes. And uh, Lori Lightfoot was one of those candidates as well. Before we get into the mayor's race, why you refer to Lori Lightfoot and your thoughts, I've got to ask you about uh, Bobby Rush's comments from the weekend. Um, Ra, let's just remind folks a little bit about you. It was your first run uh, for office. Uh, you chided me when I said he's one of my favorite politicians because you said you're a public servant, not a politician. I don't know why people have such a bad attitude toward the word politicians. That's a subject for another time. Well, we can uh, hopefully while I'm here, we can talk about our political culture. And I think our political culture in Chicago contributes to this bad rap that politicians have. All right. We'll talk about the political culture. But just uh, to remind folks, you ran with Chris Kennedy. Yes. Uh, You were the lieutenant gubernatorial candidate. He was uh, the gubernatorial candidate. That was your first run for office, correct? Correct. And uh, so what conclusions did you emerge with uh, from having run for office once? Politics ain't being bag. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. I think uh, I was with Chris last night. He wanted me to tell you hello. Uh, t- Chris, I said hi. You know, I think um, I'm, I want to talk about Lori's campaign, but I will say I think our run uh, helped set the stage for the public narrative around this race for mayor. Uh, you know, our, the fundamental premise of our campaign is that the status quo has failed us miserably. And instead of a government that serves all people, we have a system where a tiny handful of political insiders wield disproportionate power. And essentially, uh, that's the framework of Lori Lightfoot's campaign. It's changing the status quo. And I'd like to think that uh, some of the work that we did on our campaign, in addition to uh, helping get Fritz Kage into office, help set the stage for what's playing out right now in Chicago. Fritz Kagey, of course, is the Cook County Assessor. Uh, he was defeated Joe Berrios uh, in uh, the March primary. It's already been a year, Rod Joy. Can you believe that? No, I cannot believe it. Yeah. It's already been a year since that uh, March 2018 primary. Uh, you talk a little bit. By the way, what have you done since then? Fill folks in a little bit of what your life has been like since the March uh, 2018 primary. Well, we took some time to step away from Chicago. Uh, We went out to uh, the West Coast. Uh, My wife is from Seattle. Uh, We figured we needed a moment to kind of catch our breath. Um, We've had an opportunity to really uh, unwind a little bit, get away from the hustle and bustle and uh, drama associated with the city and the political life of the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had uh, have a place out there that's surrounded by nature. It's really close to the water. It's less harsh in every way imaginable. Uh, so a lot of long walks, a lot of time uh, experiencing the healing power of nature. Um, but I'm here now, and Chicago is the center of the political universe. And I will say, thinking back, it's so good to have you back on the air, man. It's so good to have you back on the air in this political moment. And for those of you who haven't been in the studio yet, it seems like you moving up like the Jefferson. Man. Yeah. <laughs> It's a nicer deal, man. You got, you got yeah. a nice setup here. Yeah, nice setup. This is, the high, this is the high rent district down here. By the way, I I love George Jefferson. Okay, let me just get that out yes. there. Under, I yes. love George Jefferson. He had a good attitude yeah. toward life. Uh, there are consequences yeah. when you speak truth to power. Yes, there are. And to connect the dots between our political life and the media yeah. uh, industry, 
you know, oftentimes it's easy to find people who take orders. It's not so easy to find people who take risks. And it's really great to have your voice back on the airwaves in this moment in this city. And so um, hats off to you for finding a workaround. Hats off to the Sun-Times, the Reader, all of your supporters. Because um, we need to reimagine political life uh, in this city. Uh, we're so used to a certain uh, way. And I think your question about Bobby Rush and, and his incendiary comments play into the old school way of politics. And we need to really expand the boundaries of our civic imaginations and demand a better kind of politics in this city. And we are, uh, that is within reach. Mm-hmm. You know, we are one week away from this historic election. It's like 168 hours away from a paradigm shift in our city. And so it's great that you're back on the air, and I appreciate you opening your doors and inviting me back in. Oh, thank you very much, Rod Joy, uh, for those comments. Uh, And let's get at what uh, Bobby Rush uh, had to say. It was this Sunday. It blew my mind when I heard it, and um, (laughs) I've been thinking about it ever since. Uh, it was at, uh, you have the comments, you, oh, why, why should I read them? Uh, Dennis has the exact comments himself. Why don't you play it, D? And everybody who votes for lowering the blood of the next young black man or black woman who's killed by the police is on your hands. All right. Uh, anybody who votes for Lori, he said, the blood of the next young black man or woman who's killed by the police is on your hands. Roger, what are your thoughts? I think that's sad. And I think it's desperate. You know, 91,000 people voted for Lori Lightfoot. I would anticipate that more are going to vote for her in round two. Uh, To make that kind of statement, that's gutter politics. Um, I think I'm signing on to a letter today, along with a a number of uh, civic leaders in Chicago, uh, demanding more uh, from uh, Tony Preckwinkle and her campaign. She holds a leadership position uh, in the city and in the county, regardless of the outcome of April 2nd. And in order to solve the big problems that are facing our city, we need to bring people together. Uh, you know, it's an old school strategy uh, to divide Chicagoans in order to preserve the status quo and consolidate power. And I think this is a, a really sad move in what's been really a disappointing campaign season. Uh, when it comes to the campaign that I think uh, Tony Preckwinkle is running. You know, if she were running to become the chair of the Cook County Democratic Party, then her campaign would make sense. Uh, But when you're running to be mayor of Chicago, we don't have time for that. Um, You know, Lori, and and one of the reasons why I was proud to support her, was I was of the mind that she is a unique figure that has— the potential to cobble together a really different kind of coalition in this city. And it took a long time to get to this point, but I think you can see the kind of campaign she's running, which is bringing people together, north side, south side, west side. I think it says a lot, although uh, endorsements are not what's going to get you into office, it's voters, but it says a lot that seven of her once uh, mayoral rivals have uh, leaned in and joined Team Lightfoot. Uh, it's time to bring people together to solve problems. It's not time to um, broker in the politics of fear and division. You know, uh, one of the things that I found most bizarre about the comments uh, that Bobby Rush made is that uh, Bobby Rush endorsed Bill Daly in round one. And Blair Hall. He endorsed Blair Hall. 
Don't forget about that. Yeah. Uh, back in back in the day. Yeah, back in the day against Barack Obama for Senate. But just sticking with this current theme, yeah. he endorsed Bill Daly. And I, when I listened to it, I thought about it. I just trying to take the implications. You know, you hear somebody say, follow the implications. So he's saying that this is a, a paramount moment for the city of Chicago. You absolutely positively have to endorse uh, vote for his candidate, Tony Perkwinkle, over uh, Lori Lightfoot if you want to have any hope to change the police culture in this town, which is an interesting comment, given that he endorsed Bill Daly. The Dailies, I don't want to get you in a fight with the Dailies. Yeah, but look the at da- you now. I'm squirming over yeah, there. Yeah, ah. the city for years. Lock yeah. the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... I wonder, would he have made these comments if it was Lori Lightfoot against Bill Daly? Would he have said, this is a paramount moment. If you want to change the, the, the relationship between police and black communities, you have to vote for Bill Daly? Yeah, right. Well, you know what that is. And, you know, in theory, um, our politics and these elections should be a battle of ideas. Um, you know, we should be spending all of our time talking about how we solve the toughest problems facing the city not the name calling uh, and the divisive, nasty uh, brand of politics that we see day after day after day. And it started from Jump Street, you know, when you try to block uh, candidates from appearing on the ballot. And I had a lot of friends in this race, you know, and I had a lot of reporters reach out to me uh, to share the news that um, the Tony Preckwinkle and her campaign were peddling opposition research on a number of candidates uh, in the race, including some friends of mine. Uh, You know, I think (laughs) I heard you on the air giving credit to the Sun-Times and the Sun-Times endorsement as a pivotal moment in Mm -hmm. the campaign. I also think a seminal moment was when Rob Martwick was dispatched to a press conference of Lori's. Like, that's that's, um, a bully tactic. Um, And, you know, again, again, after again, after again, we see uh, an effort to drag people down instead of lift people up. And I think Tony doubled down on that uh, on February 26th by coming right out of the gate and, and criticizing uh, Lori in a, a way that was incredibly harsh and unnecessary. All right, let me uh, deal with a criticism that I think there's uh, it, it, there is some merit to it. I'd love to get your response on this. By the way, just to help people out, Rob Martwick is a state representative from the northwest side of Chicago. And in the first round of the race, uh, he confronted Lori Lightfoot at uh, one of her uh, campaign appearances uh, regarding a bill that he had about uh, the assessor's office turning into an appointee office. Rob Markwick, a friend of the show, uh, Lori then facetiously sent out a tweet. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, happy uh, birthday. Was it a happy, happy birthday? Yeah, happy Thanks, birthday. Rob. I mean, Rob, come on. You did help her. Uh, but with that press conference. All right. One criticism about Lori Lightfoot that I've heard many times and uh, comes from many young activists I know, and it is this, that when she was on the police board, she did not show enough uh, empathy or sympathy for the uh, relatives of uh, people who had been killed by police officers. Uh, she did not show like just like a human connection. I know some uh, some good young activists uh, that have been putting this on their Facebook page and sending me emails urging me uh, to extol the virtues. Or they really don't want me to extol the virtues of Tony Preckwinkle. They just want me to criticize Lori Lightfoot on this point. I, I'm sure you've heard, Ra, these criticisms about Lori. Uh, what's your reaction? To so that? I guess, first of all, in terms of our city, I think we desperately need leadership that listens. Um, you know, we are coming up on eight years of leadership that did not listen. 
uh, I will say personally, uh, there are quite a few things that I appreciate and admire about Lori, and one is her compassion for people, in particular people who suffer. Um, Lori and her family were there for me and my family uh, when we were experienced horrific pain and trauma. Um, but you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, I'd encourage people to talk to Albert Cleveland. Uh, Albert Cleveland, at, I think he was 19 years old, uh, was uh, wrongly convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 45 years uh, behind bars. And it was Lori Lightfoot uh, who leaned in and worked on his behalf for four years to get him from behind bars. Um, there are lots of things that I, I really admire about Lori, and I think that criticism uh, is not fair. I know she cares about people, and if particularly people who are suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to uh, remind people, if they or maybe educate them if they didn't know, um, uh, Roz, I think I believe he's 23 years old at the time, Xavier Joy was uh, killed last year. Uh, it was on the, where was it? Uh, I think it was on the south side. I, the details of it was in Woodlawn. Woodlawn, yeah, have escaped me. A very promising, talented, bright young man. Um, Whitney Young grad. And uh, so anyway, yeah, that would, uh, that's what uh, Ra was alluding to. You talk, uh, Ra, about the political culture of the city of Chicago. Uh, go, go into a little more detail about that. Well, I think um, it's interesting because there's been a lot of talk about the code of silence. You know, we talk about the code of silence. We you know to go back to street violence, and sometimes people talk about there's a code of silence uh, that discourages people from coming forward and sharing information in order to solve crimes. Certainly, there's been a lot of attention on a code of silence within the police department. I think to, you could make a case that there's a code of silence uh, within the Cook County Democratic Party when it comes to some of the corruption uh, that's played out. Um, you know, in, instead of serving people, uh, we have a system where uh, insiders are benefiting themselves. And just to give you a few examples that I think create a really bright line of distinction between Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle um, is let's start with Joe Berrios. You know, you spend a lot of time with Chris Kennedy. If you spend more than five minutes with Chris <laughs> Kennedy, he's going to open up about our broken yeah. local property tax yeah. system that's punishing yeah. black and brown uh, communities uh, in this city. It's a Robin Hood scheme in reverse uh, where Joe Berrios is going in and robbing the hood <laughs> and sending money uh, to uh, you know, affluent uh, homeowners. I think that's one example. And I think another example is this whole messy situation with Ed Burke. I mean, people see that for what it is and it hasn't been addressed. I think, I think uh, Lori and Tony are going to have their fifth debate tonight. Mm -hmm. And these issues have never gone addressed to have a situation where uh, they're in in a, a federal case um, there's a $10,000 contribution that's steered to her campaign. That was part of a political shakedown. Uh, the fact that uh, Ed Burke uh, hosted a fundraiser uh, for Tony Preckwinkle in his home that raised over $116,000. The fact that Tony Preckwinkle helped get Ed Burke's kid a $100,000 plus a year job, that stinks. That stinks. 
Uh, and it's never been addressed. It's kind of like a code of silence. I think I heard Tony on the radio today that says if you don't acknowledge a problem, you can't solve it. Like People are sick and tired of that politics as usual uh, in this city. And, and that's to come back to that Rob Martwick episode. People wonder when push comes to pull, are you going to favor political insiders or are you going to stand up for ordinary people? And if you watch that tape, when your friend of the show, Rob Martwick, approached Lori Lightfoot, she did not back down. She stood up to a, a political bully. And she has the courage to fix these broken systems. It seems like some people, their, their leadership model is look the other way. We can't afford that any longer. Uh, Rod Joy, one of the ideas, you talk about a campaign of ideas. Uh, you, you alluded to that be, uh, a little while ago. One of the ideas that emerged, my favorite idea that emerged from the Chris Kennedy, Rod Joy campaign, and I've been harping on it ever since. Uh, Kennedy articulated it. He said it. He put it out there. He may have regretted it saying it because uh, it took a life of his own. But he, he directly accused uh, Mayor Rahm, the uh, planning policies of Mayor Rahm, of uh, forcing black people out of the city of Chicago, essentially raising the cost of living in the city of Chicago. We've seen a tremendous decline in the black population. You know this as well as I do, Ra, over the last 20 years. And uh, I believe those planning decisions, I applauded Kennedy for saying that. I believe those planning decisions are still very much alive in the, uh, as Mayor Rahm runs out the office with this big Lincoln Yards TIF deal. Are you confident, you've endorsed Lori Lightfoot, are you confident that Lori Lightfoot uh, has the wherewithal to change some of these planning decisions where we finance development in gentrifying areas, thus raising the cost of living in the city of Chicago? For sure. You know, I think this campaign is all about fairness and doing what's right for ordinary people. You know, I think Harold Washington uh, had a great quote uh, about fairness that you know, no one but no one in this city, no matter where you live or how you live, is free from the fairness of our administration. And I think that's a mantra that Lori would carry forward. And I think that's how we make change happen. First and foremost, we have to fix these broken systems, um, whether it's uh, the local property tax system, whether it's fixing the automatic prerogative or automatic privilege, uh, which I think has been used to block affordable housing and uh, maintain segregated neighborhoods, um, whether it's uh, putting term limits in place on the mayor and on committee chairs. Uh, in order to make change happen, we have to fix our broken systems, and Lori is willing to do that. Rod Joy is my guest. He was the uh, lieutenant gubernatorial candidate along with Chris Kennedy. I can't believe a year has gone by. Uh, I'm going to lock the door, and I won't let Rod Joy out because I have more questions I want to ask him, but first we're going to take this break. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp, that's C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, The Chicago Reader, and The Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. 
More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. When you lose a loved one whose wishes were to be cremated, Chicagoland Cremation Options provides your family a dignified and affordable cremation service. Chicagoland Cremation Options helps you bypass the expensive overhead of a funeral home or cemetery by streamlining the cremation directly. It saves you sometimes thousands of dollars. Chicagoland Cremation Options Crematory, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. You can find them at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, Rod Joy in the studio with me. We've been talking a lot of mayoral politics. Maybe throw some national politics at Raw. Rod Joy, see what he thinks about the uh, upcoming presidential race. Always like to talk national politics. And how about old Donald Trump trying to weasel out of uh, <laughs> any wrongdoing allegations and now counterattack the Democrats, uh, see what Ra has to say, and maybe ask him a question or two about automatic prerogative, a favorite topic of Chris Kennedy. If Chris Kennedy were in the studio right now, half hour yeah. on yes. automatic prerogative. But before we do any of that, the doctor's got an update for us. Absolutely, guys. We're just going to go to you. And yes, I'm talking to you, the Ben Jarofsky Show listener. How's it going today, listener? Oh, yeah? Really? You know, it's getting warmer out there. Pretty awesome, huh? All right, let's check our social media pages. First off, Ben, we're almost to 1,000 likes on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Well, considering they blew up our old Facebook account. We were like 4,000 on the last yeah, one. Man, we were killing it on other yeah. one, and then boom, they blew it up. Back to square one. It's yeah. a grassroots campaign, people. I'm not hitting, like, boost likes or whatever. We're not no, paying we money to have pay people like our that. page. We're almost at 1,000. So if you're listening to this right now, whether you're live streaming or listening on the download, and you've yet to like the Ben Jarofsky show on Facebook. Today is the day. Maybe it's because you can't spell that crazy last name of his. Well, we got you covered. Ben, spell that. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Or you can find us at Benny J Show on both uh, Twitter and Facebook. By the way, how's that uh, Ben Jarofsky show Instagram? Account <laughs> ben? I'm in charge of the Facebook and Twitter. He's in charge of Instagram. Oh, yeah. How's it going? I put up a picture the other day. Oh, how many likes are we at there? Uh, I forget. I don't know how many. I put a picture of my good buddy Ed Pipes, Coach right. Pipes from the Rwanda national team. No man. pressure, Pipes. We need more yeah. likes on that Instagram, all right? So hopefully that can help us out. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Ant. Oh, he's, okay, he's Mr. working Pipes on it. Working on it. Good, good, good. <laughs> and uh, speaking of those pages, we're asking uh, all of you on our Twitter and Facebook page a simple question tonight on Fox 32: Is the 5,000th debate between Tony Preckwinkle <laughs> and Lori Lightfoot? So many of these debates. Uh, <laughs> my goodness, yeah. change. They're all about change. Yeah, we know change, that. Change, change, change. But we're asking all of you on both Facebook and Twitter pages: Is there a question or issue that has yet to be discussed? Mm-hmm. 
in uh, Ooh, these I'll debates. I'll enjoy that one, yeah. Is, is there a question or concern issue that is yet to be uh, asked or debated on in these debates? Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page at Benny J Show or on Twitter also at Benny J Show. Uh, we have a few people who left uh, comments here, so let me just pull them up real quick and we will see what you, the Ben Jarofsky Show listener, is saying. Yeah, where the hell did it go? Okay. Oh, wait. No. All right. We're going to have to give me some more time here if... Uh, going to find that on Facebook. I know uh, someone wanted... Uh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay, here we go. On the Facebook page, mm-hmm. Alan. Alan says, will you as mayor slow or stop gentrification? Well, okay, that was the issue uh, I was uh, getting at with Ra when I talked about uh, whether, you know, uh, Lori, what Lori could do in that at light uh, regards to Chris Kennedy's comments uh, where Chris Kennedy said the uh, policies of the planning policies of the Rahm Emanuel administration were intended it were intended. Uh, that was the whole point of the, the policies to fuel gentrification and force uh, poor working class people out of the city of Chicago. I would I go one step beyond Chris. I told Chris this. I go, Rahm inherited these policies from Richard M. Daly. Uh, and uh, Ra, please be more, um, what's the word, uh, less cynical than I am, okay. le- less skeptical than I am. I always, I'm always the way money operates in this town, the way power really operates in this town, it's very hard for me, uh, having witnessed politics in Chicago since the early 80s, to think things can change. You you think they can change? I, I do. I think uh, the formula to make change happen, in my mind, is, first of all, you have to fix the broken systems. The second thing you have to do is organize in a different way. You have to get people to set aside their own issues and lock arms for the greater good. And you have to get more people, more ordinary people, to roll up their sleeves and actively climb the, the ladder of civic engagement. Uh, our political culture breeds cynicism. It breeds disengagement. It, it tuned, People are op, often uh, apt to tune out mm-hmm. uh, what's happening in politics, and we have to turn that on its head. I do think... Uh, you know, Chris and I had a lot of conversations about this frame of strategic gentrification, mm-hmm. and certainly uh, you can't argue with the numbers that uh, people are being pushed out of the city of Chicago, you know, forced to leave the city they love. Mm-hmm. And Chris often had a line that, uh, you know, that for his family, if you close the neighborhood schools, uh, if you force people to live in a food desert, uh, if crime is uh, consolidated, focused on uh, a handful of neighborhoods, he had a, a view that there's an 88 rule where uh, 80% of the crime happens in 8% of the neighborhoods. Uh, if you close mental health uh, facilities, uh, if you force people to live in pharmacy deserts, uh, if there is no uh, neighborhood hospital, people are going to vote with their feet and move away. And that's what's happening in the city of Chicago. We had a difference of opinion about the frame. Like, I think it's about structural racism and the systems that um, are built upon a misguided mythology that there's a hierarchy of human value uh, that's based upon skin color. And I think that that misguided mythology influences uh, every aspect of daily life uh, in our city. Uh, from housing to education uh, to jobs to the air we breathe to the water we drink. And that's 
a focus of this campaign is around um, fixing those broken systems and addressing the structural inequality um, that exists in Chicago. Mm. Structural race embedded in the very system itself. All right. We'll do one more question here as we get our guest, Anthony, Anthony Clark, Clark, all set up here. Um, now, the question again, since there's been like, I don't know, 500 of these debates between Preckwinkle and Lightfoot. Are there any questions or concerns that you've yet to hear these two discuss? Frank, shout out to Frank. Yes, Ben. That Frank. Oh, I love Frank. Hey, Frank. That's how's it going? Uh, he says, Miss Lightfoot, if you were the mayor, what would you do to combat food deserts? And Alderman Scott Wagaspack says, a good lawyer can get us out of the pay the park deal. Do you support getting us out of the pay the park deal? Oh, uh, yes. Boy, I'll tell you what. Lori Lightfoot is a corporate lawyer. She made, uh, she's been working in that sector for many, many years. I really wish she were the mayor. When I think about the skill sets that she brings, Rye Joy, uh, to the office, if she were elected, let's say, in 2011, because that was the moment to uh, put your mind on that parking meter deal that so many people in the city of Chicago despise because it just sort of symbolizes everything we've been talking about, how much expensive it is in the city of Chicago just to park your car. You know, if you don't pay your if you don't pay that meter and the money doesn't even go to the city of Chicago, it goes to these privatizers who own our parking meters. And if you don't pay off the, the, uh, the meter, uh, then you get a ticket. And if you don't p- keep paying your paying off your tickets, they get to snatch your car. And this is just sort of emblematic of where the city has been going for the last 20 years. And when I talk about the, the policies of the city of Chicago have raised the cost of living in the city of Chicago and forced people out of the city of Chicago. And I think Lori Lightfoot, or a person like Lori Lightfoot, or even if he just had a mayor who hired somebody yes. with a corporate lawyer to work, to go after that parking meter deal in 2011, instead of doing what Rom did and was, was essentially rubber stamping it again. That's when we could have used her. Yeah, the Denver food, yeah. Um, all right, uh, Anthony Clark is uh, in the studio, uh, the pride and joy of Oak Park, and uh, he'll join the conversation. Ra has been good enough to say he'll stick around when we're done talking to Anthony about some of the local issues and maybe broaden the conversation to discussion about what the Democrats can do looking forward uh, to the 2020 election. Donald Trump has sort of laid down the law how he's going to go on a counterattack against the Democrats, how he's going to snatch Obamacare away from the Democrats. He thinks that's a winning ticket somehow or other, Anthony Clark and Rod Joy. So we'll get into all those national issues. But Anthony, first of all, welcome back to the show. Thank man. you. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be back. Always good to see you in the studio. And uh, when I reached out to you, I forget when it was, Anthony, about two or three weeks ago, uh, you were in the news and I don't know what the resolution is that. So why don't you tell folks about what happened to you at Oak Park where you're uh, a teacher at Oak Park High School? Most recently. Uh, I just came off a two-week suspension uh, at Oak Park. It was paid suspension, so it wasn't that bad. But I was on suspension. Uh, the school district, the institution, uh, essentially uh, framed an issue around... Uh, I was being, I guess, blamed for preparing students to protest, um, preparing students to activate and use their voices in regard to uh, various systemic issues that they had problems with. So I uh, got a little vacation time for that. <laughs> Did you, you think it was a bum rap? Uh, no question. No question. I think it was a bun wrap. I mean, clearly I'm back at work now, uh, and now I'm on spring break, uh, so my march was extremely short in terms of working. Uh, but again, anytime you want to blame me for empowering students to utilize their voices, go right ahead. I'll take that rap every day. 
Yeah, well, I guess the general uh, idea is that students wouldn't have, uh, what, the, uh, the wherewithal to do it on their own, so they need a, an adult to lead them, but you're saying that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but I think it even plays into the systemic issues, again, that exist and, and the narratives that cre- we create, uh, because it's interesting, this past, last year, uh, when primarily white students led the March for Our Lives in the local community and nationally, uh, as a teacher who believes in demonstrations, who believes in activation, I helped similarly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet there weren't any of the negative feedback and bounce back from the community uh, because, again, I think it's a different narrative and uh, when primarily white students lead, protest, and activate. Uh, but this year, you know, it was around uh, the Trayvon Martin issue. You know, if you're familiar with Oak Park and the surrounding communities, there have been a lot of issues of racism that have uh, happened this past year. I was attacked directly. I think you remember earlier in the year we discussed that mm-hmm. uh, in regard to swastikas and, and different things like that via social media and, and graffiti. Uh, but now you have primarily black and brown students activating and it tends to make individuals uncomfortable. And I think we live in a society, even on the liberal and progressive side, where people tend to say they want change. Uh, but if it gets to the point where they have to, again, look themselves in the mirror, you know, they have to get uncomfortable and they can't dictate and control mm-hmm. what they change look change looks like. Sort of like the Colin Kaepernick theory in a sense, like, yeah, you, that's an issue, but you can't kneel. Uh, and I think that's what we got to. You know, they don't want black and brown students out there in the streets uh, leading. Uh, in addition to being a teacher, Anthony Clark was a candidate for Congress in the 7th Congressional District, which is, folks, if you can just follow me, it's a district that stretches from, it goes down to the loop in Chicago, right? It doesn't go all the way, oh, all man, the way into Oak Park. You know, gerrymandering. Yeah, gerry- I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it goes to the loop. It goes down to Inglewood, uh, goes back doors uh, all the way out west towards Westchester. So, I mean, we have suburbs. We have uh, a disproportionate amount of wealth, you know, distributed dis- distribution within the district. And on one end, you have food deserts and, you know, 16.4% unemployment rate. And then you have Oak Park, Illinois, with two grocery stores, three grocery stores, and, uh, and high, employment, uh, high employment rate. So it's, it's ridiculous. And we were talking to Rob about it's been a full year since the uh, primary of 2018. He was, of course, running with Chris yes, Kennedy. Yes, he was. We, and saw, we saw each other in all of the forums. Right, right. We became homies. We became <laughs> cool. We became cool. And uh, Anthony Clark ran in the 7th Congressional against uh, the veteran Danny K. Davis. Correct. Uh, so first question before I go into uh, other issues, are you thinking of running again? We are. You know, I can't lie to you and say I think any time that you make a decision to run for office, one, it's a huge decision to make. Uh, But when you recognize the power dynamics that exist and how, uh, you know, what I term the machine and how, uh, you know, incumbents control that power, you recognize you have you just can't run once. You know, if you run. I think you you know you lay down a foundation you know you build name recognition because oftentimes that's why incumbents uh, continue to win you know based upon that that power control and name recognition has been built up over decades and decades uh, but it's by design I mean we see what the DCC just came out with in regard to uh, informing you know different uh, institutional organizations not to work with you know candidates like myself and so on and so forth so they try to control that so again yeah we're definitely thinking about and considering another run for it. Uh, we think we did extremely well for the first time, not knowing what the hell we were doing. You know, mm-hmm. we were nominated to run. I never thought I would be a politician or want to be a politician. But I think it's about taking the mi- the micro fight in regard to the systemic issues and expanding it to the macro level because nothing changes systemically unless you truly attack policy. Uh, so, yeah, we're definitely considering it. All right. So let me just get a calendar in my mind. Uh, then that race would kick into gear. Oh, my goodness. It would be now, right around the corner. Like now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I have like a day. You have a day. Oh, you, can, you can announce you're <laughs> like running right 30 now. 30 minutes. 
30 minutes, I'm thinking, I'm counting down. But no, it's going to be extremely soon. And I think, uh, I don't know if you're aware of, so Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, she won her race. You know, we came through with brand new Congress, just as Democrats, so many other wonderful individuals, Corey Bush in St. Louis, Paula Jane Swears in West Virginia, Amy Viella in Las Vegas, and so many others. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a huge movie that's coming out. We actually just got back from, uh, what's that film festival? I, don't, I forgot. Uh, I was there, and it was a big deal. Sundance. Sundance, Sundance Film oh, Festival. So you were out to Utah, huh? So we were out to Utah. The movie premiered. I mean, everybody was crying. Or was the it Breaking theater. the Houses? Uh, knock Down the House. Knock Down, knock down, down the House. That so. will, by the way, be in Chicago yes. at the Davis Theater yes, uh, yes. in April, I want to say. I think I April, and I think, yeah, I think it drops officially like May 1st. You know, don't quote me on that, but I think that's going to be huge. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm the only male in the film to, like, even have a speaking part. Like, I just say something briefly. I did not know again. you were in the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you'll see me. You'll see me, and okay. then I say something briefly. So I think that's that's huge for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, ally. But you're also point. in that Steve James movie. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Star is born. So, episode eight, check me out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, again, but I think that movie's going to be huge, and I think that's going to play a major role in helping uh, grassroots candidates. Uh, so well, here's one of that. my favorite themes, and you know I'm going to ask the question. Uh, I think I may have asked this of you the last time you were, mm -hmm. or maybe we just asked you on the phone we're chatting, and that is this. Why in New York did you have that breakthrough uh, mm -hmm. with Ocasio-Cortez uh, defeating in a Democratic primary, a pretty liberal uh, Congressman Joe Crowley, I think his name was, from mm -hmm. Queens area. But here in, in, in Chicago, very hard, very, mm -hmm. very hard for right. an insurgent right. uh, to defeat a, an entrenched incumbent. Right. What's the, what's going on here in the city of Chicago? Well, first and foremost, I have to be honest and say, you know, AOC is dope as hell. I mean, she was a <laughs> super dope, you know, yeah. candidate. I mean, she's extremely intelligent, you know, extremely motivated. And I think what happened was with the movement, quite honestly, as well, like losses like myself, which occurred before her, you know, her primary race and things of the nature, you learn, you know, because we were working together. We were communicating online via chat rooms, so on and so forth. So I think you pay attention and then you coalesce all that information, all those failures. And uh, I think that helped as well. I think boroughs in New York are kind of different from districts here uh, in a sense, like boroughs are more, you know, I guess easily, not easily walkable in a sense, but everything's more centered in a sense in New York. So you have a borough where you could just hit, like, how do I go from essentially Oak Park all the way to Inglewood and back to Westchester, so on and so forth in a district? I think corruption uh, exists everywhere, but corruption is a little thicker and a little bit different in the Chicago area. And I think something I know I was walking in here and you all talk, I think something we also have to talk about as well is how even the Democratic Party benefits from voter suppression. For sure. Uh, you know, how that plays a role in, again, maintaining that power within the system, uh, within machine politics, because in Chicago, I mean, voter suppression is huge mm. in regard to, if we look at that last election cycle, you know, the age range, the demographics of individuals that came out and voted. Of course, we're constantly talking about millennial voting, you know, what's the next generation, generation Z voting, and so on and so forth. We have to give them something to vote for, one. But I think that uh, incorrect narrative exists that our youth aren't out there and activated. They are. Mm -hmm. You know, they're in the streets, they're activated, but I don't think we're necessarily motivating them to vote because they're not dumb. They recognize everything is by design. Uh, you know, whether it's Democrat or Republican, they feel like they're losing. You know, I think it goes back to that. Something that makes me mad sometimes is when you're on social media and I see posts, you know, in regard to nationally. Well, if Hillary would have won, you know, we'd all be at home right now drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. No, no, I wouldn't. You know, I would still be oppressed. And so many other people would still be oppressed. You may have felt more comfortable in the sense of whoever posted that. Uh, so I think, you know, our youth are just looking for somebody to motivate them. And I think we just have to get in, get in there and truly educate 
and, and focus on that. All right. Now, Anthony, I keep talking about you as being an Oak Park teacher and uh, Oak Park resident, et cetera. But as you pointing out, pointed out, the 7th Congressional District uh, stretches into the city of Chicago. I'm unaware of this, so just let me know. Have you made an endorsement? For mayor, city of Chicago? Uh, no. Members. So one thing about that, thankful, not thankfully, but I'm in Oak Park, so I don't get a vote. You know, I'm not a Chicago resident. Mm-hmm. So even though running for a con- congressional seat, yes, you know, I go into Chicago, I represent Chicago areas, but because I'm an Oak Park resident, uh, I do not vote for the mayoral race. And quite honestly, I, that's, that's less pressure on me. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily extremely motivated by either candidate. Uh, I think for me, most importantly, is who has the best policy. I think we need to focus on that, uh, particularly in the black community. Uh, you know, I'm truly interested in trying to create and develop a black agenda. Mm-hmm. And at this point, based upon where we're at, I truly feel that uh, even though I'm a Democrat, black people, you know, any oppressed demographic of people, we need to really think about just moving to being independent and, and demanding that whatever party we may go with, like, show us, you know, why would you want our vote? Because now, right now, the Democratic Party, basically, they know they could count on, you know, the black support, the black vote. And yet and still we have decades and decades, you know, after the New Deal and we switched over from Republican to Democrat. What do we have to show for it? Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know. This race is extremely difficult. You know, I'm seeing a lot of people struggle in regard to who to vote for, who to support. I have individuals on both sides that I highly respect, uh, like Ra and others that, you know, have chosen one candidate or are supporting one candidate or other. But for me, I see problems with both candidates. Uh, and until I truly see policy that I feel like is aimed at changing things on a systemic level, you know, I don't really have a horse in a race. Have you, did you follow uh, Bobby Rush's con- You talk about running in against an entrenched incumbent, oh, Bobby, Congressman Bobby, Bobby Rush. Uh, his Bobby. Uh, views on uh, what a light foot vote means. Yeah, I mean, I mean they're going to kind of confuse me in a sense, because where was that statement when you supported Daly? Uh, you know, can't you say the same thing in a sense when you endorse the Bill Daly in the sense of uh, that type of thought process of uh, supporting police departments and the systemic issues within our police departments and so on and so forth. So, uh, again, it's, it's politics as usual. You know, everybody, you know, jumps around and makes deals and so on and so forth. So I just implore people to do their own research. You know, I think you cannot if you're sitting there and you're going to make your vote based upon. Look, like I say, Rob's my homie. Like, I love Rob. But if you're going to see her make your vote just based upon hearing him once and say, well, I'm going for Lori. You know, that's incorrect. You need bring to bring in the honest. light. Bring in the light. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And I respect his opinion on that. You know, I, I know him. So yeah. he does his own research. But again, we're dealing with so many individuals that just base their information off of social media, mm-hmm. off of a quick blurb or so on and so forth of hearing somebody talk or off of a pastor. Uh, we know we can't we, we can go into that. But, you know, pastors in the city and so on and so forth that may be getting checks from candidates and so on and so forth. So just do your own research, truly engage and then make this decision based upon what you believe. You know, Oh, this listening to you t- when you said pastors, it triggered something. And now, I know Uh-oh. you always speak your mind, so I'm going to ask you this Uh-oh. question: When, when at, at that debate with Carol Marine, mm-hmm. where uh, when they were asked, uh, "What do you like about the other person?" and uh, I forget what Lori said about Tony. I think healthcare, how she unfolded healthcare, mm-hmm. and then Tony said about Lori, "Well, I let she's honest about her sexual preferences." Right. Did you think that was a dog whistle? I thought that personally, I thought that was a dog whistle. For sure, yes. For I personally sure. thought that was a dog whistle, uh, because again, we don't have enough time to get into a history lesson. But you know, historically, I think we know the importance of the black church in the black community. Hmm. Uh, when we came over on slave ships, our ancestors again, religion was often used to pacify us and so on and so forth. But again, it's entrenched in our society. You go into a black community. There's about two or three churches on every block. Uh, So churches are extremely important. Religion is extremely important. And oftentimes, 
that's adversarial, you know, to, you know, the LGBTQ community and things of that nature, uh, because many of us are being raised uh, with certain belief systems based upon how we're deciphering the Bible. Uh, I myself consider myself an ally to the LGBTQI plus community. You know, I try to be an ally in verb form, engage in action. So when I heard that, I thought that was a strategic dog whistle, because one thing I can say, even though I haven't necessarily thrown my support by one candidate, Tony has ran one of the worst campaigns, and this is, again, my opinion, I'm making nice statements, but one of the worst campaigns I've ever seen or witnessed in recent memory. Uh, like it's been, like my kids say, she's been taking L's after L's repeatedly throughout this campaign. Uh, so she has nobody to blame, essentially, but herself and her team. Uh, they need to look in the mirror and ask themselves, how did we get to this point? And whether it's the Bobby Rush comment or that dog whistle comment, what comes to mind for me is, are we humanizing or dehumanizing people? Right. And I think we don't have any room to continue to dehumanize people. Right, right, definitely. And I think another thing to, to jump on that, you know, one thing I, tr I truly believe in, no one's freedom or no one's empowerment can come at the expense of someone else's freedom or empowerment. Uh, so I think that kind of played a role with Willie Wilson endorsing uh, Lori, you know, his, you know, the church base that he comes with and rolls with. It was a dog whistle indeed to kind of call to them and say, hey, essentially, you know, check that Bible, whatever psalm or verse you need to check. Do you really want to support a LGBTQI plus, you know, candidate? All right. I'm going to say this before we take a break. I believe the notion I've said this so many times, I'm just going to say it again, that the black community is so much more homophobic than the white community is an exaggeration. You have a couple of loud mouths. Mm -hmm. I always believe that black people don't feel the same sense of political correctness that white people feel. Mm -hmm. And so you have a couple of loud mouths that'll say this, that, and the other thing about Adam and Steve or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I have never seen any evidence, Anthony Clark, in any election in my whole life mm -hmm. that black people view a person's sexual preference. Oh, no. I, I've never seen any yeah. evidence of it. No, it's not disproportionate, not at all. Not at all. So I, I just think, think it's that, all, yeah. the whole thing is exaggerated. If it was a dog whistle, I don't think it really worked. Oh, uh, it definitely didn't. <laughs> all right, Anthony Clark and Roger are my guests. You know what? We're going to take a break. We're going to bring it back. A little bonus section. We're going to move on to some national politics, pick their brain on what they think the best strategy is to deal with that president of ours. We'll be right back. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, 
Man, take us home. All right, you know what? I love that song. That's Anthony Clark, by the way, playing piano. No one plays the piano <laughs> oh, like hey, Anthony Clark. Get down. <laughs> Little Smokey. I don't know. Did Smokey play the piano? I don't think Smokey No, Smokey did not play I just do his name. It was random. <laughs> by the way, there is a, uh, a, a, a video going around. My wife showed it to me yesterday on Facebook. And I don't know if uh, Pam showed this to you. It is a video of a woman singing... Uh, in the New York subway. Have you seen this one, Ron? Um, Midnight Train to Georgia, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. This lady kills it. It just she absolutely kills it. So, folks, if you see that video, t- check it out. She's just singing it without uh, instrumentation or anything. She, she's playing like the background choir or something, <laughs> like acting like the pips. Anyway, when I thought about uh, Anthony Clark playing the piano. That just popped right. into my mind. Well, Stevie Wonder, there you go. Stevie played the piano. That is correct. Very he plays good. The piano. He Not still play. plays. plays. Uh, he, Stevie's alive. Don't Steve is me. very much alive. You know how that happens? A post yeah. Oh, Stevie gone. I'm like, no. <laughs> Stevie's here. Stevie. Don't get in trouble. Right. Uh, Anthony said Stevie did. Yeah. There goes. That would kill the church folk. <laughs> right yeah. there. Okay. Uh, all right. So now uh, Donald Trump. Curious little strategy on Donald Trump's part. Uh, as you know, the Mueller report came out. Uh, I can't remember when it came out, but it, uh, I've been reading about it ever since. We've not actually seen the report. We've just seen a letter uh, summarizing the report, a really sketchy summary from William Barr, the attorney general, saying uh, that although there's no uh, evidence that he uh, colluded with the Russians, he is not exonerating uh, the president on other charges, uh, particularly obstruction of justice charges. And immediately, Anthony Clark, immediately, Rod Joy uh, Donald Trump said, I've been fully yeah. exonerated, right. and now I'm going to counterattack the Democrats. What is your reaction to that? We'll start with you, Ron, and go to you, Anthony. It's not a surprise um, that Donald Trump would uh, take it in that direction. I, I think uh, we have to release the report. I think there needs to be full disclosure, uh, and nothing short of that I think will satisfy the American people. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have to be completely honest, Uh, you know, since the investigation launched, you know, I really I don't don't want to say I could care less, but I think it's interesting how, again, in our society, we're constantly looking for scapegoats or someone to blame in a sense. Mm -hmm. So even if the report came out, came out that, you know, there was collusion, what does that still mean in regard to the systemic issues that we face? You know, white supremacy, racism, so on and so forth. Okay, so you can possibly. Uh, you know, better create a, a narrative and argument to get rid of or impeach Donald Trump, so on and so forth, charge him and his administration. But that's not going to stop four years from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, et cetera, another administration coming into office that's going to continue to perpetuate the systemic issues that we face as a society. Uh, so, again, I'm not surprised. You know, I thought there was nothing there in the first place, in a sense. But again, that doesn't stop Donald Trump from, again, engaging in dog whistling, uh, perpetuating, you know, white supremacy, racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, so on and so forth. I think that's the bigger issue at hand uh, than a Mueller report. Well, I would uh, I'm not quite sure I agree with the point you made. You didn't think there was anything there in Correct. the first place. Yeah, I'm totally uh, Anthony Clark. I got to completely disagree yeah. with you on that point. Uh, what are you what are your feelings, Ron? Well, again, we need the full report to yeah. be disclosed, but I, uh, you know, without a doubt, it doesn't uh, say that he was fully exonerated. And that's what Trump made yeah. it out to be, but that's right. not what the yeah. even the summary of the report said. Yeah, and I mean, again, I, I definitely say, like, I don't want to say there's nothing there in regard to, I mean, Trump's like a snake oil salesman. You know, I just watched a special last night on HBO 
about the ran- the rhinos that blood uh what was that the I don't know if you saw that you heard about mm-hmm. this uh, so the young lady, you know, she basically like uh, idolized uh, Thomas Edison and lied about her blood patents and things of that nature, being able to process blood and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it's like that snake oil salesman mm-hmm. in a sense, like Donald Trump's a liar. You know, of course he cheated. Uh, but again, him cheating, what does that mean for the systemic issues that we fail to face as a society? Uh, this is the first time in history that I think even presidential candidates are talking about reparations. Mm-hmm. You know, but are they bringing it up just, you know, to become popular or they, are they truly engaged and, 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 you know, truly mean it? Well, here's here's how I would uh, respond to what you said, Anthony. No collusion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank, you. No, Thank right. you, Donald Trump. Um, we were actually talking about this, uh, Ra, before you got in here, uh, the culture of, of corruption in the city of Chicago. And I believe there's uh, in the Donald Trump administration and this uh, and in and his uh, campaign a strong uh, a culture of corruption and lying and deceit, and uh, it is perhaps uh, one of the reasons why he has sort of captivated uh, the imagination and support of so many people in this country. And I think that's very unfortunate. And I I, I welcome any investigation. Uh, into uh, the Trump campaign, into uh, I do. Do I believe that Donald Trump got on the phone with the President Putin of Ru- uh, Russia mm-hmm. and cut a deal? I don't believe he would be right. that obvious. Although I, hey, now that I just said that, anything is possible. They were alone together, so I welcome the in- investigation mm-hmm. uh, from just like sort of like a moral purpose. What I don't know, and then we remove it to a, like a political strategy. Is it a shrewd? political strategy there's two separate issues right. one to get at to really know what our government is up to you mm-hmm. know to have transparency and full disclosure etc it's good but politically is it a sound strategy right. i think that's what you were sort of getting at without saying right that. i mean yeah again you know for me i'm still you know truly trying to unpack and articulate it because i mean I, okay cool so question for you ben and maybe you too rob i feel like our nation is built upon lies deceit lies and deceit you know i, I in my estimation and again i don't want people to take this wrong Donald Trump is exactly the leader we deserve as a nation based upon how we've operated throughout history. I mean, we're built upon white supremacy, genocide and oppression. You see what I'm saying? So, again, for me, we we, we got to this point for a reason. You know, we could try to pinpoint Russia. We could try to pinpoint uh, Hillary running a bad race. We could try to pinpoint all these red herrings and scapegoats. But we got here based upon the system that our nation is built upon. You know, I think that's my main issue is, yes, we could get so caught up in this Mueller report and the Russia investigation and things that Trump is saying and so on and so forth. But unless you're truly trying to get down a policy and changing the system and recognizing that, again, (laughs) we let us here, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, both benefit from white supremacy. You see what I'm saying? I would agree with Anthony about where you place Uh, your energy. And instead of pointing the finger at Trump, uh, you need to point the finger at yourself and organize in a different kind of way. At the same time, we need to hold our leaders accountable. And I think when Trump says, I can go to Times Square and shoot somebody and uh, there's no repercussions, I think he's operating under that model, that he is above the law, uh, that the rules do not apply to him. And I think from that vantage point, uh, I'd like to, again, see the full report released and there's some some measure of transparency all right now uh i'll ask you the question i was asking anthony uh uh, from a strategic uh view do you think it's politically wise for the democrats to pursue this uh any further or they should should they in your humble opinion back away from further investigation 
I think there should be a full court press to release the report. At the same time, I think there should be a focus on the urgent challenges that people are facing. There's a lot of suffering going on right now. Yeah. Um, and, and, and whether it's addressing some of the issues uh, around structural inequality or, or even getting after infrastructure. Like you would think that whether it's Trump or, or, or folks on both sides of the aisle, that there would be a concerted effort to get things done. Uh, and so I just wouldn't mm -hmm. encourage Democrats to um, put all of their eggs in the, the basket of trying to take down Trump and, and right. impeachment. And to directly answer your question, Ben, in my, again, in my humble opinion, I would say back away. Uh, and, and one, anal not necessarily an analogy, but an example I could use is Willie Wilson had openly stated that he voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Said right here in this. Yeah, right, openly, has sitting openly in that chair where Rod Joy is sitting right has now. Has openly stated that he supported <laughs> Uncle Bruce, Willie. You know, Uncle <laughs> Willie has supported Ronner. Yeah. Uh, so for me, the Democratic Party has done such a horrible job in regard to, in the sense of empowering black and brown and impoverished communities, whether it be socially or, or economically. You see what I'm saying? We haven't built generational capital within these communities. So when I was door knocking, for example, you know, when I was running for my race. If I got knock on the door in the Austin community or the Inglewood community, and I'm talking about Trump, it really has no impact right. in a sense because these people are on the ground fighting food deserts, fighting gun violence, fighting lack of infrastructure investment, fighting school closures, mental health facility closures. They're living day to day. So a lot of these people could care less about a Mueller report. So if the Democratic Party truly wants to be a party that represents the everyday people, that truly empowers black and brown and impoverished communities, I personally feel like we need to back away and truly invest in the people, truly put boots to the ground and see what's happening because nothing changes on a national systemic level until it changes locally. All right, you may raising a lot of good points having said all that. Keep investigating, Democrat. Come on, Anthony. You're not a reporter. You don't have those reporter instincts. Go get them, man. Uh, what's that? For you, as Oh, yeah. That's Ed Pipes in the back said the plausible deniability. I'll tell you, Anthony, I got to tell you, it's just like I hear everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. And you're saying ultimately that whether Donald Trump uh, lied, whether Donald Trump conspired with Putin, whether D Donald Trump fired Comey because he wanted to short circuit the, uh, the investigation into him, whether Donald Trump, oh, Lord knows what he did wrong. Right. It doesn't affect somebody who is at, at sort of li living in a very poor neighborhood in a, in, a, in a very difficult situation. I understand exactly what you're mm -hmm. saying. But because Trump did all those things, he seized control of power, which made that person that you're just not whose door you just knocked on, their life that much more difficult and makes them even more alienated from the system mm -hmm. and makes the system that much harder mm -hmm. to knock down. So I believe, I guess this is just what I've done my whole life, Roger. I just believe the more light, the better. The more bring in the light. Bring in, <laughs> bring in the light. <laughs> Bring in the light, Rob. Bring in the light, Rob. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, Lord I You know what? Hey. That's subliminal because he's got these Lori Lightfoot bringing the light hey, signs. Love, Rob's the ultimate hype man. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Biggie and Puff Daddy. Like Puffy behind him. Like, you know, it, Lord, ultimate hype Come on now. I, I was into that campaign you were talking about. <laughs> no, Rob, no, I mess with him. But no, so my counter argument then would be, again, you know, I can only speak for myself. I can only make I statements. From my viewpoint on the ground level, I truly don't believe Trump's election 
has changed that for the individual that I'm discussing. You know, even as a black male, what I feel is important to understand is I think Trump's election has primarily changed it for those liberals and progressives that were ultimately in bubbles prior to his election. Trump's election has made them feel uncomfortable because the racism that was covert and has always existed is now in front of their face. Mm -hmm. So they don't have plausible deniability. There you go. So that's why this election is so important. I mean, this, you know, investigation and other things getting Trump out of office is so important to them because if Hillary was in office or someone else that would maintain the same system. I just got pulled over yesterday by the police. Guess what? If Hillary would have been president, I would have been pulled over still. Nothing changes on the ground level for me as a black male in society. But what I do think it changes for those allies who aren't necessarily allies in verb form, who may go to a march on Saturday or Sunday, take a Facebook picture, tap themselves <laughs> on the back, and go back to work in the same system that led to what they marched against. So it's that fake progressivism. It's that fake liberalism. Uh, you know, neoliberalism, essentially. Uh, that's part right. of the problem. Fake progressives of Oak Park in Chicago. Anthony Clark still wants <laughs> yeah. your vote. All right? He may have thrown hey, you in the mud there. Hey. But he still wants hey, your vote. You, want to. <laughs> you can't beat Danny Kenyatta Day. Right. by throwing them out the <laughs> Right, Rod Joy? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, now, uh, before we head out the door, I need to know a sense of, uh, is there a candidate that you're really encouraged by uh, for the 2020 race and these early goings? Uh, Anthony. Right. Well, first and foremost, if I can quickly, uh, you know, I've been helping individuals on the ground, boost the ground with these automatic races. So I would love to shout out a few candidates that I think are extremely important. Uh, Byron Lopez in the 25th Ward running an extremely important grassroots race. Uh, Matt Martin, 47th Ward. Andre Vasquez, 40th Ward. Uh, Will Calloway, Will's the homie in the 5th Ward. Yes. So on and so forth. So these individuals are truly, uh, you know, boost to the ground, trying to take power from the establishment and the machine. We're seeing how Rom right now is trying to coalesce around these uh, incumbents and these candidates that are trying to push for privatization. Rahm's using a lot of his money right now through these PACs uh, to, to launch attack ads and so on and so forth. So I want to shout out those candidates. If you don't know them again, Byron Lopez, Matt Martin, Will Calloway, Andre Vasquez. Check them out. Uh, local candidates in Oak Park, I see you all as well. Uh, you know, Erica, uh, Tim, Christian, uh, Cherie Moore, Artie, all you guys. So I just want to shout them out because they're doing a truly good job and nothing happens nationally till it happens locally. I want to say that in regards to 2020, I'm with Bernie right now and I'll just leave it at that because again I'm about policy that change on, changes things on a systemic level not a repackaging of a Hillary Clinton uh, in another form. Were you a Bernie delegate last time? I just don't remember. No I was not a Bernie, Bernie delegate Bernie. last time but you know listening to him and learning about him again because I was one of those individuals honestly and I'm sorry I'm going to stop after this I was not necessarily engaged politically uh, because again I thought again the, the game is fixed. Mm -hmm. The game is by design but Bernie was the type of individual that enlivened me based upon the policies that he was pushing and the things he was saying. Alright very good Rod Joy. So I will double click on the shout outs to our majority of those automatic candidates. And we were with Will Calloway uh, just the other day uh, in South Shore. Mm -hmm. And as you may know, his office was shot up yes, it was. yesterday. And so our thoughts are with him and his definitely, team. Definitely. Prayers out. And um, also want to give a shout out to Matt Martin and help kick off a, a canvas mm -hmm. for him. And I think about the future of the city council and to have a city council that has a Matt Martin and a Maria Hayden. Yes, like Maria's dope too. I mean, that's, uh, you have someone who is a progressive activist, uh, is a participatory budgeting guru. Like, her victory on February 26th, I think, sent a really powerful signal about a new type of leadership. 49th Ward, 49th Ward, duly and, elected all right. And then, uh, and then, of course, what's top of mind for me is electing Lori Lightfoot the next mayor of Chicago. We're seven <laughs> exactly. days away. We're seven days All away. Right. I, and I will say that uh, <laughs> Anthony talked about throwing his hat in the ring. Yeah. It's tough 
to run for office. It's really tough when you're running against an incumbent uh, who is deeply entrenched in the Democratic Party. That takes a special kind of courage. And for Anthony to throw his hat in the ring and then still have uh, the courage to go back at it and do it again, hats off to you. And hats off to you as well, Ross. And I will say that on the Bernie front, with that same logic, the fact that he has a national infrastructure, the fact that he can raise small-dollar donations, uh, I think— his candidacy is uh, incredibly strong at this point. All right, very good. That's Rod Joy, Anthony Clark. Uh, we'll continue the conversation. We'll welcome both of you back to the show uh, as, as the year unfolds. Oh, my God, so many guests to thank today. Uh, Maya Dukmasov has left the room, but she did a great job. Ed Pipes, the man, the myth, the legend from Rwanda. Well, not really from Rwanda, from Cincinnati, but uh, he's coaching in Rwanda now. Uh, Miles Porter, excellent editor, did a great job. Uh, and, of course... The man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Dr. T. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for that one to get old. <laughs> Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. I know what you get the high.